Welcome to Talk That Talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, education, and more. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also find us on all social media networks at Real Talk That Talk. And now, let's start the show. Welcome everybody to Talk That Talk, where we have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band coaching, music, music education, and more. Please make sure that you go ahead and smash that like button as soon as you walk into the room. Also, please make sure you subscribe to the network and turn on notifications. And also go over to Spotify. Find us at Real Talk That Talk. All the episodes are, well, not all of them, uh, a couple more episodes uh, are going to be posted. But uh, for for the most part, all of our episodes are up there and you can check us out on Spotify. Ride in your car. Listen to us. We got a lot of good stuff that you probably missed out on. All right. Let's keep this thing going. First topic of the night. I'm going to try to. Well, I don't know. Let's see how how this one goes. Uh, I was having a conversation today with a couple of educators, uh, a couple of colleagues and things like that. And, and this kind of popped in my head how has covid changed education how has covid changed education mm-hmm. Quan, i knew it was coming uh covid has changed education tremendously um if you're if you were a teacher that were just accustomed to you know your old traditional quote-unquote brick and mortar you know paper and pencil teaching then COVID, when it initially started, uh, I would say for us, March of 2020, like it was it was Audrey's for you. Uh, if you didn't, you know, uh, seek help from technology, from Padlet, uh, Flipgrid, you know, Microsoft Teams, if you didn't utilize those, you know, platforms, it, it was hard for you. And for honestly, for us music educators, it was hard trying to run virtual rehearsals. You know, it was hard, you know, because that delay is like you're telling them to tune, but then you hear delay and then you hear the distortion from the speakers and, you know, so forth and so on. So it was hard. But I recommend, you know, Flipgrid for some pro, uh, for some schools and teachers because you were able to record in real time and send it back and then give feedback. But honestly, honestly, the virtual teaching stretched in my opinion, everybody, and it kind of low-key exposed education overall. It exposed the cracks that we had. It exposed the uh, the different, uh, honestly, the the impoverished aspects as well, because everybody didn't have internet, you know. So they were giving out, you know, free hotspots and different things like that. Uh, I know my my district did, and and you know, tried to make it work, but some of that was hard. Um, also, COVID changed because now we're looking at an aspect of their. Some of these students are two years behind. Think about it. If you were in, if you were in sixth grade, uh, and you went back to school this year, you're an eighth grader. If you were uh, a freshman, now now you're a junior. And then how our district operated, you had thirty minutes of instruction, then you had sixty minutes of what's called asynchronous time. And so, the, honestly, the attention span of these kids is even shorter now in person. So it's, it's they're still accustomed to teach me for 30 minutes, 60 minutes. We just want to chill. So we got to get back to, honestly, the old school, the ones that are meeting in person, you know, to teach in that, in that manner. While, in my opinion, you should include 
those technological uh, advances as well. So it's changed tremendously. For the better, in, in my opinion, too, though. For the better. Okay. Word. Word. Rick, how has COVID changed education? I mean, I think a lot of that's obvious, right? Obviously, we can't be in, in person. Uh, I think some states are different than others, though, right? Because I think political leanings of states affect the seriousness of how people react to COVID, right? Like, I think we're all a little, um, like, over COVID right now, like, you know, from not being able to interact with friends and family as normal. We all have COVID fatigue. But I think certain states are doing it differently. For instance, right now, we are in virtual school here in Connecticut. I won't be back in school for another two weeks. UConn made the decision that in order for us to stay safe, we have to have a, a healthy population. And with people doing Christmas, uh, and, Christmas and uh, New Year's, you know, they felt that giving students, you know, that time to quarantine at home and keep themselves away from others would bring a healthy student body back. But Connecticut has always been on the front of, you know, what they feel is best for people when it comes to COVID. We were the first college band in the country to cancel the 2020 season. We were the first. They announced that. Uh, school ended in May. They announced that in June. We will not be having in-person school next year. So it's like, you know, I, I look at videos of some of them what's happening in Texas. You would think that the Omicron variant don't exist in Texas. People at uh, Prospect Park having a good old time. <laughs> like, yeah, they've been having a good time at Prospect Park since uh, since the first variant of, of COVID was out there. I'm looking at it like, boy, they just don't care. And I'm looking like, man, I'm jealous. They look like they're having fun down there anyway. But, um, yeah, I just think it's it all depends on where you are and, you know, what exactly your your state and your system's regulations are. You know, I've, I've heard, like, from my wife, man, here in the state, she feels like they aren't going far enough in the public schools. You know, even with all the things that we're doing above and beyond other states, you know, from uh, I saw in the good, great state of Virginia, they're now saying they're about to get away from the mass mandates. You know, so at the end of the day, that, that's been a huge change for a lot of us. I think in particular as music educators, you know, it's our job to make sure we're doing the research, too, for our bands. Right. Like you should be presenting these studies that's happening at the university level to you, to your school to know what's safe, excuse me, and what's not, you know, because it's a study like many studies have shown that playing a, a bell front instrument is the most dangerous, but it's no, um, it's no different than your speaking. Like there's not much more happening than when you speak. So, you know, I think knowing the literature and stuff like that will help you know, when it comes to us being able to establish our bands again, uh, I think the biggest issue that or biggest change that a lot of band programs have seen is size. You know, bands that were larger bands, you know, I'll give a prime example, uh, Bruce in San Antonio. Uh, his band was traditionally, you know, hundred some kids in the band. You know, I think this year he had like 16, you know, so 
at the end of the day, I think the biggest issue has just been us being able to staff our bands, um, you know, and look like what we used to look like. I don't think the teaching has changed. I, in my experience, a lot of us are happy to be back in the classroom and working with students again. I know I am, man. Today we had virtual band and I'm just like, ugh. But we had to do it because we got concerts coming up and I'm not going to miss no rehearsal time. So COVID has changed band in a lot of ways, but here's, the I think, the kicker, and I'm sure Maya might even touch on it too. I think COVID has changed band in a couple of positive ways. For me, it has put a hyper focus on education. You know, what we do, in my opinion, has never been at such a, you know, such a focus where everybody has eyes on what we do. Um, and I think it's brought a lot of attention there. Money has been invested for PPE and all these things. So bands have have had the opportunity to benefit. Yeah, it has its challenges. But, you know, for me personally, the whole not having to closely interact with a whole bunch of people, I think that's a good thing. I don't want to go around shaking a whole bunch of hands. Too many people don't wash their hands. I told you, I'm telling you right now, if you were in front of me and you don't wash my hands, hey, you forgot something. Like, it's a couple of people that nasty ass. But, uh, yeah. So, at the end of the day, nasty bit. Uh, just make sure that you uh, are you. I think we all follow these COVID guidelines. I think we'll be in good shape. But, yeah, it's changed. It's changed the band world for for the negative and positive, in my opinion. All right. <clears throat> Maya, how has COVID changed education? I mean, well, again, I'll be the first to say I'm very out of the loop. I, <laughs> I mean, like I just moved back to Dallas, what, sometime last year. And so that was kind of like my firsthand experience being cl in close uh, relation to people or persons who are school age. Um, so I, this, these are all assumptions, um, but I assumed it has, I mean, I guess I could extend myself to see the, the positive um, effects of COVID, but I mean, just off the top, it just seemed just like with my nieces, luckily, you know, some of the, some of these, um, school age kids, for lack of better words, are more adept to technology. So it was easier for them. But in terms of staff administration, I imagine it was quite an uphill battle in which we've already um, kind of mentioned a little bit. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not the one to, I don't have much experience in this particular subject. But I mean, I just do think that it has caused stress. Um, I think it has caused a lot of anxiety for all parts, um, especially now being back in person um, or knowing, especially in Texas, I feel like, you know, Texas has never, well, has always been behind the curve, um, for lack of better words, again, behind the curve when it comes to COVID. So um, I don't know. It's just um, difficult, negative. That's just my perspective. But again, this is very, a very ignorant perspective because I am not closely related to the subject. Um, I want to say this, uh, and, and I, I, I didn't, uh, I got you, Quan. I want to say this though. Um, in this area alone, um, I know that there are a lot of superintendent superintendents who have stepped down from the jobs. There are a lot of teachers who have also left the classroom. Um, 
is it fair to say that that COVID, as it relates to education, has also taught and shown people that it is very possible to um, be successful or be financially stable without working inside a building? And or is it uh, possible to say that students can be educated without being inside of a building? No, because I don't think that's what we're learning. I think we're learning the importance of and because the, the, the part about education is not just learning information. It's about learning how to interact with others and building relationships. Like there's so many things that goes into, you know, the whole educational system. Like, you know, I saw someone talk about mental, mental health. That is absolutely the case, you know. We got kids that's already struggling with building and maintaining relationships because this is how they do relationships. You know what I'm saying? Like, whether it's direct, man, they don't know how to go up and talk to people anymore and, and build those relationships like we do. Going outside, playing kickball and fighting and all these things that helps you learn how to interact with other people. Um, that, that, that in my opinion, we talked about on the last, last show, that's just as foreign to some of these kids as writing in cursive. So I think that that's the biggest part of it. And then the second part of it, man, that we also aren't talking about is just how political everything has become in this country. Everything is political. You can't even learn about Dr. Martin Luther King in, in some states anymore because that, that, you know, you got some people that control these states that say that, oh, no, that, that makes these other group of people feel bad and all these things. Like the fact that the matter is, y'all, as a as a culture, we have become hypersensitive to everything. Everything triggers us. Everything sets us off. And all COVID did was exacerbate that whole situation and made it way bigger, you know, or more amplified than what we normally because usually we'll say, well, you know, those people are just crazy or whatever, sweeping under the rug. You can't sweep it under the rug anymore. You know, and I think I think that that's why I said I, I think that's another thing that is both negative and positive is that we have to confront our issues. And I rather look somebody in the face that I know don't like me than them talking behind my back, you know, and all these other things. So I think I think that the social aspect is just as important as what you learn in a book. I, I agree. I think um, overall, I, I think that COVID honestly just exposed education. It showed that honestly, we've gone from teaching the child uh, holistically and we turned it into Hi, a, and we turned it into a um, uh, corporation. It's big business and we know that. Um, also, but I must say from a positive perspective, uh, I know this district that I teach in we have been honing in more from the social emotional aspect, you know, being empathetic towards some students who who already had that anxiety. And then once they return back to school, how to, you know, kind of not put as so much pressure on them, but honestly help them honestly go through that. So I think COVID has positives and negatives uh, for the things that that we've been preaching about in urban areas that was exposed because COVID somewhat put everybody to a degree, not, not everything, but some people on the same playing field, like you couldn't see it. If you were affected by it, you were sick. I mean, so it kind of 
even the playing field, but COVID did expose the big business mindset mentality of education. Um, let me ask you a question, Rick, because just kind of based on what you were saying, <clears throat> do you feel like, and, and this is more or less directly specifically to you, but do you feel as though like kids were already consumed with, you know, electronics anyway, which already damaged their social emotional, um, you know, situations prior to COVID and, 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 you know, COVID just gave them a way to e connect even more to what they were already doing? I, I think yes. To answer your question directly, yes. But I, I'm looking at like a whole broad set here, right? Like I'm going to go real dark for a second because I think it's relevant to the conversation. We have a mass shooting problem in this country. These kids going into these schools, shooting the kids, the schools up for whatever reason. And you look at the M.O. of all of these students, and it's usually the same type of M.O., a socially awkward person with not many friends, mostly white men, sexually frustrated because they don't know how to talk to girls. They have none of those interaction skills. So in turn, that becomes, OK, everybody's against me. I'm shooting the school. And then they have parents that empower that for me. Just because something has become a problem doesn't mean we continue to feed into it. I think that is something that comes from parenting, and I'm not going to touch that because I already know that's a touchy subject. I am not yet a father, um, so I can't speak from experience there. But I deal with kids just like you all do on a regular basis. And we all see the social awkwardness of these kids. Like I have never seen so many social awkward kids in my life. You know, even I'm thinking about growing up like I grew up in a community, man, like I moved all around my city. My parents, you know, were fortunate enough to get us into better neighborhoods as we got older. So but growing up, like I see Tina in the comment, Tina and I, were we've been friends since we were kids. We used to play together at the playing park right in front of her townhouse. Our townhouse was around the corner. We used to go to the park and play at that park right across the street from her house. Then when we moved, we went outside and we used to play park football. Um, I don't know where y'all, some of y'all from, but we used to, all the parks from my city used to form football teams. And that was how we kept the violence and the, and the drama down between the different hoods. We all played football together. We got it out on the football field. So for me, if you completely take that aspect out, which like you said, Julian, was already happening, like, we're not going to stop technology. Like, people just need to get over it. Kids are going to do what they do. You know, I was reading today uh, on BET that people were mad because TikTok put its top 10 earners out and there wasn't not one black person in the top 10 for the content creators on TikTok. And I looked, the number one creator on TikTok is 17 years old. That young lady makes like, what, $17 million. They say she makes more money than almost all the CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies. And she's a 17-year-old on TikTok, making whatever type of video. I've never seen it. So I don't think we need to stifle what the kids are trying to do from a creative space there. I think that we, they, we need to understand that we need to be exposing them to other things other than what they just like. And we talk about that all the time on this show. You can't just give somebody what they like. You have to also expose them to what the real world looks like. 
You know what I'm saying? So, you know, parents, kick your kids off the phone and kick them out the house and go go to the play park and get some scratches on your body and interact with people and learn how to talk to girls. I was dark skinned growing up. It was hard. <laughs> that no girls, don't nobody. Struggle look. was real, bro. Struggle oh. was real. Don't nobody look like Maya trying to talk. Nobody look like me. I Absolutely had to learn how not. to spit this water. And once I learned how to spit this water and and, and spit this late Minnetonka on them, then then things started to change. But you know, hitting the talk daddy to these girls was not easy, and it took years to develop that talent. So I think, in general. That's the part of I think the kids probably miss the most from school. I know they do. I've heard them t- say it. It's the the social interaction, and I think that that's going to be more damaging than us not t- teaching them about Beethoven in person. So, word okay. Oh my, you, you about to say something? Yeah, I was gonna. Say, so you so you said um, what real life looks like. That's just a very small excerpt of word. My bad. Um, anyways, it's too far for me to cancel that. Um, yeah, so let me ask you this. So what about the way... So, okay. From my perspective, being corporate, right? The way that when you said that, the way that that appeals to me is what about the way in which the real life is changing to being fully technology-based or 70% technology-based or what have you? Like more and more jobs are becoming fully remote. I mean, we have things like Amazon. We have things like my current company that takes e-commerce or, or takes the norm of, God damn it, something must be wrong. Um, I'll get that in a minute. Um, sorry about that. Um, like taking even buying cars. You can buy cars online. You can literally have an accessible, you don't have to reach out to anybody. So is that true? I mean, again, this is very just throwing it out there. I, again, I have, I'm very ignorant when it comes to education. Um, but is that really setting it up or is that really changing or um, uh, messing up the progression of social skills when, in fact, a lot of things are going to be technology based or through the, the sense of a camera? I mean, shit, we're doing this damn show, <laughs> you know, like fully technology based. So I just wanted to add that thought in there. But I, I think that's the reason why, why I said we can't stop technology, right? Like people that invest. One of the biggest investments right now is the metaverse. Do y'all know what the metaverse is? Facebook is starting Facebook? this. Yeah, the Facebook metaverse is one of the, going to be one of the, I think it's already valued at like a multiple trillion dollar company. Because at the end of the day, Maya, what you're saying is absolutely true. We can't stop what's happening with that. We can only either adapt and keep ourselves relevant in that or not. You know, the fact of the matter is, Maya, most interactions in the metaverse, those people will never meet each other. Your your best friend will be in the metaverse and you don't know what their face looks like. You know what their avatar looks like. You know what I'm saying? So I think that from the standpoint that you bought, Maya, yes, the world is changing. The world is evolving. We will be a part in, of that whether we like it or not. But what what I'm also speaking of is the other parts. You got to get out your house. You got to be able to go to the grocery store and interact at the grocery store with a cashier. You know, even though a lot of them are now uh, just computers, you know, you got to be able to get out and pump gas, you know, and things like that, unless you live in New Jersey. Um, So um, 
there are, I think there are things in Maya that will always be person to person. And I think that a lot of our kids, like, I'm going to give you a prime example, Maya. I think this will hammer it home. There's a generation of kids that are new to their school and have never, and this is their first year, like, doing in-person school. Like, whether it's kindergartners, whether it's sixth graders, or whether it's ninth graders, kids new to elementary school, middle school, and high school. They don't know how those environments operate because they, you know, this is new to them. So now you have a whole generation of kids who are interacting with these things for the first time this year. I can only imagine the stress that those students are dealing with. Like I sympathize with them, man. Like me, y'all, and when ensemble, when a kid tells me, Mr. Brown, I'm just, I'm dealing with a lot of mental health. I don't even argue. Take the time you need. A, because I know the stress they're dealing with, because as teachers on all of us, Quan Julian, we know the stress of having to work in this COVID environment. And everybody that's watching us right now, y'all know. But at the end of the day, that doesn't take away from the importance of those experiences for students. So for me, I think every kid needs to be interacting with other kids and learning what that is like and how to do that so that those kids don't lose those skills moving forward. You know, I think it's going to cause a lot more issues uh, in the future. Can you imagine <laughs> if we were in school and you didn't know how to break the graham crackers on the line as a kindergartner? I know that sounds like petty, but just merely breaking graham crackers on the line and sharing them or the little things of candy grams for Valentine, like all of those social emotional aspects teaches you like that's really what your first you know that early childhood development really is teaching you but my so, but, but Quan, that's exactly what i was talking about though i said COVID has also uh helped us in some areas because kids hands are nasty <laughs> can you imagine your like your i mean, kids, like, drum 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 daddies and I mean but, but here's here's the thing drum 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 drum. All right. <laughs> well, no he really is a germaphobe I, i'm not even gonna lie I, he is a germaphobe but and i thought i was bad but um, but no, he's not lying. Kids are nasty, you know what I'm saying? But we did some of those things, bro. Like, I mean, let's 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 be real. We all talk about how we drank from the water hose, bro. And, and we don't know what was in that hose or that water, but we was smashing that water. Delicious. Um, was, I, that hose. I, right. That, that, delicious, <laughs> man, that water was delicious. You know what I'm saying? So I second. I, I, yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, so I, I I agree, man. You know, I, I think it's just a really interesting thought process to come from both sides, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I'm not going to give my whole spiel on that because that'll be a whole nother 30 minutes on, on this one topic. But I definitely agree, man. Uh, any more final thoughts, uh, Quan, Rick? No, but what, what I would like to see is I want to see how once, you know, in Jesus' name, this pandemic is over. How how has it truly affected college band from a longevity perspective, like five years from now? I really want to see, like, because like you just said, this has affected middle school band, high school band, and I think college bands are, you know, holding on. I wonder, I want to see in five years from now, will we see this big explosion of, of bands again? You don't have to wait, Quan. We're seeing a lot of those issues right now, but they're, that's coming from what we've talked about a lot with how programs are dying. Mm-hmm. We're there is a trump a shortage of good trumpet players. They just absolutely they just absolutely every university is struggling to find trumpet players. Every university 
is struggling to find, you know, certain instruments in certain places. But trumpet just sticks out to me. Like, but, but I think that's. But I, I, that's how I about to say. I think that that's that's also because you're a trumpet player. I'm a trumpet player, and we were not like phony trumpet players. We were right. like, were you know, top tier trying, you know, trumpet players. Exactly. So. You don't. You ain't want none of me back in my day, young bro. Man. I'm playing, bro. I'm playing. Uh, oh, I'm about to say, but uh, <laughs> but but I think that we also hone in on that because I, I I definitely agree. Uh, the 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 art of trumpet playing itself is truly dying. Just really the 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 approach to the horn, all of the necessary uh, pedagogy to the horn. I, I 100% agree on that. Well, and I think it's. People that would have tro- chosen horn, trumpet and horn back when we were in school are choosing euphonium now. Yep, euphonium, euphonium. Because euphonium and baritone is the the highlighted instrument in most bands that these people watch. I mean, let's be real, man. Like most of the time, like there's never a shortage of trombone players. You know what I'm saying? There's never a shortage of euphonium players in HBCU style bands. They're always there, and I think it's because of what's being highlighted highlighted at the university level. And um, every school is struggling for trumpets. I've heard stories about da- uh, directors going into band rooms saying, man, who can who can play this and that? All right, scholarship. Because at the end of the day, that, you know, you got to throw money at the best kids. Because in addition to our band programs, the, all the other schools are reaching out to these kids too. In the state of Texas, if you make all state, it ain't just Prairie View and Texas Southern and Southern Jackson coming in your living room to talk to your mama or your band room. UT's there. You know, all these big schools are there too. And that's what I keep trying to preach on this show, right, Quan, is that we can sit up there and we can keep ourselves in a box as much as we want to. We do what we do and we do it how we do. The fact that the matter is that's not a winning formula when we are also competing against everybody else. The world is not just us. So I think at the end of the day, man, especially from an instrumentation standpoint, we just need to, I mean, Quan, it's going to, it's going to be a bleak, bleak future, bro. Up here in Connecticut, we're dealing with a tuba shortage. They don't exist. My band had 10 tubas this year and we're a 300 piece band. So, you know, at the end of the day, bro, regionally, I think it's regionally too. um, You know, kids don't want to play tuba and trumpet no more, I guess. (sighs) And uh, you mentioned Allstate, uh, TMEA is coming up. Um, I'm happy to say that uh, we have two students who are former middle school, who are former students of the middle school that I'm at right now have made Allstate. Uh, so they'll be performing at TMEA. So I'm, I'm happy to to uh, say that and announce that. And I, and I, you know, I met them this year, but I, I've had the, uh, the chance and availability to work with them, uh, you know, at the start of the year. So I'm, I'm happy to know that, you know, even just what they've gotten previously, you know, from prior to me being here, plus the information that I was able to give them to, to advance to the next level. Uh, so, you know, happy to, I want to go ahead and announce that, you know, that's, that's a prideful statement. All right, let's keep it rolling though. All right. 
Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to Talk That Talk, where we have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music education, and more. Did that say education? Music education and more. As soon as you come in, go ahead and smash that like button, man. Y'all go ahead and get these likes up, man. I appreciate all the comments that's happening in, in, in the uh, in the chat, man. You know I, I appreciate all that, and I love all of you guys for that. But go ahead and click that like button. Let's get these likes up. Also, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the network and turn on notifications. Also, once again, uh, you can go over to Spotify if you just are you if you're just walking in. You can go over to Spotify, find us at Real Talk That Talk, and you will find this episode uploaded tomorrow. All right. My phone just going off today. My phone like Maya. I got the hotline. All right. Uh, let's go to the God. Lee. Let's go. Let's go to the next thing. I didn't mean to do that. Let's go to the next topic. We ended uh, a certain way on the show last time, and it really got me to thinking. Um, and I know that we kind of kind of touched on it, but I really want to get into this because it's not only something that I'm pretty sure that we talk about on the show, but I also think it's something that a lot of us, you know, uh, either contemplate or have thoughts about. So here we go. What does supporting the culture look like even when we don't agree? What does supporting the culture look like even when we don't agree? Rick. He would go to me first, wouldn't he, Cora? Oh, Lord. Well, I went to Quan <laughs> on the first one. So All I'm right. to you on this one. Maya up first on the next one. See, I'm, I'm trying to get, get into the flow, you know. I, I question if what people consider support is is the same person to person. Like I, I think that if we don't blindly say what everybody else say, you call everything from Uncle Tom to a hater to like somebody said last show, we don't we think everybody's stupid and dumb or whatever. I it's, it, it, it I don't know how you support in a way that is is true to yourself while also making others feel good about what you're saying. I don't know if you can do that. I think what you can do is you can stand for something and and stay on solid ground with what you stand for. I, I don't do this because I want people to agree with me or I want people to you know, like me or anything like that. That's not why I do this. I do this because I feel like what I'm, what I'm saying and what I'm teaching is what's best for our people. I don't do this for anybody else but our people. Uh, Quan has talked many times on this show about that post-slave uh, uh, syndrome or post-traumatic slave syndrome. You know, I, me personally, Quan, and I'm, you know, I'll allow you to talk about it when you go, bro. Me personally, I think that anytime something happens bad, that people always go to that. Sometimes things just happen bad because there's bad people doing those things. I think it's easy to try to rationalize something with something that's as wide open as post-traumatic slave syndrome. You know, at the end of the day, bad people do bad things. Good people do bad things sometimes. Like we're we're all human. So to support the culture or what does that look like even when people don't agree with you, it looks like what we're doing on this show, being steadfast in what you believe in. 
yeah, people don't like the fact that I come on here and say I can't stand cross-voicing and, and some of the way that some of these bands write. You have every freedom to do whatever you want. I'm not telling anybody what to do, but I'm allowed to have an opinion just like you are when you sit down in a computer and write whatever you write. You know, the same way that these people can get on here, like I say many times on this show, and justify the behave, bad behavior of others or the, you know, the decisions that are made, the same way we are able to make a decision that, hey, we don't agree with that. So I don't, th- I don't know if you can ever please people that don't agree with you, because for some reason in our country now, you can't just disagree with somebody and still be civil. If you disagree with somebody, you're against that person and they're against you. And I just don't subscribe to that. I don't subscribe to that in anything. You know, like whether whether it's my personal life, whether it's my political life, I just don't subscribe to the group thing. I never have. I never will. You know, I like making my own mind up and doing the things I want to do and what I think God has put me on this earth to do, not with man or some dude that doesn't have a music education degree that's telling people what band is supposed to be like i'm not interested in that um i will support the parts of the culture that i enjoy i always have i i don't i am not ashamed when i go into rooms uh full of white people and i let them know what my credentials are i went to norfolk state i didn't go to ut and all these other schools i went to norfolk state university for my undergraduate and master's degree most people leave hbcus to get their masters i did not i stayed right there because I love my experience in Norfolk and they hit me with that money, daddy. So what do you think? I was right there. Um, so it was tight. Yes, I'm getting my doctorate from a predominantly white institution now. But, you know, if there was an HBCU that offered doctorate degrees, I would have considered that one, too. You know, so I think at the end of the day, y'all, when it comes to supporting the culture, I will never subscribe to the group, the group thing when, you know, I just won't. If I am adamantly against something, I'm going to express it in a respectful way. Nobody can say I've been disrespectful to them. They may not like what I say, but I'm not adamantly out here telling people that they're the worst person in the world being disrespectful. I think some of their actions are disrespectful to the students that are in front of them. You know, what justice are we doing to students when they don't even know how to tune or they don't even have any considerations for tuning when they, or listening? When they play, that is a disservice to the students. You don't have to like what I'm saying. The fact that the matter is out of tune is out of tune. Bad sounds are bad sounds. Bad, you know, bad is bad. And it's and it's like I always say on this show, y'all. And I'll end with this and throw it to uh, whoever you want to do. It's funny how we're never able to have a varying opinion on something with the people that have an opinion on everything. These are the same people that every week tell you how your band sucks, how your director needs to be fired, how your student or how your arrangers don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know how to arrange. They don't know how to do none of this. And these are people that have never taken an arranging course in their life. So somebody that's actually doing it at a high level, they don't know what they're doing. They need to be fired, blah, 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 from a person that has no training in that field whatsoever. You know, it's that fight against expertise, man. So I, to, to answer the question, I don't think that we can, uh, in their opinion, support the culture through disagreement. Through my opinion, I think our disagreements with certain things 
are absolutely supporting the culture because I said this when we first started having these type of arguments. If you love something, you should want better food. That's it. All right. Maya, what does supporting the culture look like even when we don't agree? Um, For starters, I think us getting back to the thought process of community. So it takes a village, that age old mantra um, or thought process. And, you know, it takes a, a varying amount of skill set. It takes a varying amount of degrees of opinion perspective to make the world go around. And I think in terms of our culture or this culture, it's yet another community. So one, being able to put respect on the fact that we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different degrees of knowledge. Um, we all have different perspectives and iterations of how we feel we can change or progress the culture in itself. Um, I think also going back to the, the sense of people, some people just want to say stuff just to say stuff. But I mean, sometimes it's okay to actively listen, um, to be teachable and to be able to stand in a sense of, Hey, whether it's old folks or, or young folks, I think everybody should get back to being able to work together to figure out like, hey, this is where I'm coming from. This is where I see this going or this is my perspective on this and being able to have an open conversation. That's the foundation of it is in respect. I think that that's a way that we can um, support the culture. Because I mean, again, we may not necessarily agree, but if we're all here to do the same thing, then I, I don't see why we just can't agree to disagree. I mean, in, in another perspective, I mean, money doesn't have to agree, nor does it have to disagree, right? So you may not, uh, you may not align yourself with the vision of a new band director or whomever, uh, but at your alma mater or the community program down the street or the whatever, just for the sake of the art in itself. If you see that these people need new uniforms, you see that they've been using the same busted drum heads for the past five, six seasons or whatever, putting your money on the table and just leaving the conversation out the door that's a way to support as well just pretty much just making some type of foundation for us to be respectful and for us to be innovative creative and continue to propel forward we don't have to agree on everything but i think that we should respect each other and we should be able to be teachable and be able to pivot when necessary yeah respect that is an interesting word right now in this 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 culture, I mean, even just in the world in general right now, it's, it's yeah. So I, mm. all right, Quan, what does supporting the culture look like when we don't agree? Well, first and foremost, I feel like the best way that you can support the culture, even when you don't agree is to protect it. Um, I've seen on this show several times, when we strive to um, promote, you know, specific shows or whatnot. And then the comments underneath it is, you know, some derogatory statement or some derogatory comment from somebody else when it's not about quote unquote, that particular institution, but it's just highlighting a historical black college or university in a positive way. That's supporting it. 
what I realize is through these conversations and whatnot, other cultures feel like they can chime in and say things because they see us do it. When we don't support our own, when we are, well, I'm from a called fat mouth, when we fat mouthing, you know, HBCUs and whatnot publicly and excoriating them and downplaying them, well, you're giving free reign for other cultures to do it as well. So don't be mad when they do it, because when they do it, they don't even have any ties to it, but they're following suit from what is being taught to them. I mean, it used to be a point where, you know, yeah, we may joke about each other HBCUs, but we're not going to let nobody else disrespect or belittle our HBCUs, but we do it on YouTube every day. Um, one of the points that I thought of was in 1961, there was a, a, a great like debate conversation between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni. They were talking about uh, the state of the black people, uh, you know, the orders of the house and, you know, men versus women. They didn't agree with each other at all, but they never disrespected each other. Why? Honestly, it, as black people, we can't get to that point. You may not agree with the style of Norfolk. You may not agree with the style of, of FAMU, but what do they do that's well that you like, man, that's what's up. And my thing is, how can you protect them from being excoriated and belittled by other cultures? Like you'll never like even though Ohio State and Michigan like are real rivals, you'll never see them shitting on each other publicly ever. And like us though we got to take it to the extreme like we gotta you know we talk about them on youtube we talk about them on facebook and then when somebody else talk about them it's like oh well they got the audacity to talk but you gave them the leeway to do it and so you you gotta you gotta protect with yours if we're gonna protect this hbcu thing well we need to protect our uh protect each other in a manner where it's like it's one thing to say you know talk about talk about a person but it's another thing to be like, say, bro, I, I don't agree with it. But if you do it and it's doing it's positive, well, do your thing. That's why, respectfully, I see Rick's point when he speaks about mass bank. He sees my point. We may not agree totally on it, but I feel him on it. And we just keep it pushing. But that still don't mean I don't love him any less than what I and you just keep it pushing. You can agree to disagree and keep it pushing. The problem is people are arguing with their feelings instead of facts. And there's such thing as syllogism and absolute truth. And we just got to learn that in between, bro, and just call it a day. But we need to protect what's our own. That's how you can support the culture. I I, I just got to say that that protect what's our own is really, really, really something that that I, I think about all the time. And I, and I think about it only because of the fact that I look about it. I look at it even in just Greek life. Right. Because we put so now Greek life used to be, you know, only within Greek life. And now we put so much stuff out, out there and then you get somebody like Lil Boosie hitting the shimmy daddy and wearing Capanelia. And then we like, Oh, that's, that's cap. That's, that's, that's trash. You know, but we put it out there. We put it out there for the world to see. We put it out there for everybody to have. And then we comment on it. But then all of a sudden, it's an issue when somebody else when somebody else does it. So I, I definitely agree. Protect the culture. I can't disagree with that one. But you but you're missing one. Well, I I, I don't want to be. I don't want to come off as disrespectful. I think we're missing one part because I think no, nah, you disrespectful, dog. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Quan brought up disrespect amongst black people, right? 
I think the part that's missing, I w- I've been watching a lot, a lot of documentaries over the day, like since Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday and just before that. It's just been a lot going on. If you haven't seen this Emmett Till um, show on ABC, I strongly suggest you go watch it. And I usually get strong emotions anytime I watch anything about from slavery through the, the civil rights movement. I get angry because we don't know that life. We try to act like we do, but we don't. Everybody on this call has lived a life of privilege that our parents and our grandparents did not. So we are able to sympathize because we get angry when we see that mistreatment of our people. But in that struggle, y'all, it was, um, golly, Mamie Teal, Mamie Teal, Emmett Teal's mom. I watched an interview of hers on YouTube and she said, Black excellence was the standard for every black person during that time because we were all fighting for something in lockstep with one another. You know, it's easy now, like political things or some black people to agree with this side or that side. Back then, I don't think it was no black people saying, man, I think this separate but equal is where we need to stay. Well, I think, you know what I'm saying, this racism, I got to have it. I don't think nobody was saying that. I think we were in lockstep. And like we've talked about already on this show, things change. Like Maya brought it up. Things change. Technology happens, whatever. You know, but from the from the way we dress to the way we carried ourselves in public, listening to how articulate some of those people were, you know, that didn't have the opportunity to go to college and stuff like we did. But yet some of the smartest people you ever met in your life. And, and they sound like it. You know what I'm saying? So I think that just overall... Black excellence is not the overarching thing anymore. I think that it's me, 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 me above everything else, above us. It's not the us conversation anymore. And I see that a lot. I see that from how these bands fight with each other and the other band is their mortal enemy. You know, like if you go to a said school, I can't be friends with you. I can't date you, blah, 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 because you went to that school. Like it's just stupidity. And, and 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 it's for and it's for band. Like I, I, it just baffles me. People getting beat up to be in band. Like all these things that culturally make no sense to me. That so many of our friends and colleagues had to deal with in school, and now they expect it. So, yeah, I wonder if you know if it's if it's still centered on black excellence. But go ahead, Chief. And first of all, what up, though? What up, though, bro? Man, what's good with y'all, man? It's good to see everybody. Yes, sir. You see, I'm rocking this 49ers water. Hey, man. Hey, I, I literally told my homeboy uh, Saturday night we was playing the gig, and I was like, the, the, the Niners going to beat the Cowboys. The Cowboys always choke, so sorry, Cowboys fans, but it's true. Um, but, I mean, I'm a Lions fan, so what I'm going to say? Who cares? <laughs> All right. Um, I was thinking about the question, and, and everybody kind of answered with the things that I was going to say, which always happens when you go last on the show. Um, but that's kind of that's the way it goes. But I saw a comment um, uh, Charles Connor was saying, and I, I couldn't agree more with the idea that um, discretion and tact and decorum, that was actually what I was thinking. I was like, we have this idea that you, you, what you're talking about, Rick, just tie these two things together. You were talking about how we don't believe in Black excellence. I think people believe they do have an idea of what they believe Black excellence is but they believe that there's only one way for it to look like, oh, it, or the whatever way they think it is, that's how it has to be. 
Um, and I think that that one sidedness that we have sometimes within our culture where it's like, if you know, we, we're so quick to put each other down. I, I just I, that 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 thing is like it blows my mind. Like when say so for instance, um I I had played a um for Juneteenth this year, I like put up a clip or something playing my horn or something and and I had said something at the beginning of the clip and I said, you know, some people celebrate have been celebrating Juneteenth for a long time and some people are new to it. But please don't get on your high horse about that. You know what I mean? People love to be like, I've been on it. I mean, y'all late. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so what, man? Like, like, like Jesus Christ, we 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 have to be first in rush to know fucking where. You know what I'm saying? Like you like you gotta be first in line to the damn nowhere store and shit. And it's like, why why are we rushing to try to be over each other so much? It's like um, what has happened is that I don't think anything, any of the stuff is necessarily new. It's just now we have platforms for people who don't have the um, education sometimes. And I mean, education in a way, they just don't have the knowledge and don't have the patience nor tact nor decorum to be able to deal with different people and in, in, in various opinions. So when you have a platform, which our social media, even, you know, the irony of that, we're talking here on a social media platform, basically using our voices to try to speak on something. That's why we talk about so often about not being disrespectful, right? Not trying to talk to somebody, having a difference of opinion, but not being disrespectful. So um, just like Maya was saying earlier, like, you know, we can have a disagreement, but it, it can stop there. You know, like I can agree, we can agree to disagree and be able to move forward. Same as what Quan was saying. It's like, man, we, we really go into this space of um who's gonna be who's gonna be in, in like really first in line to the nowhere store. And we always love to be um the person that feels like they found something. Everybody wants to be first. I mean, even we joke about the stuff about um fraternities and stuff like that. I'm a proud alpha, but I don't take anything away from other fraternities because they didn't weren't found it. It's like it's, it's like ridiculous. It's banter, but it's actually ridiculous. Because at the end of the day, people who are outside of our world don't give a crap about that. No one cares about that. That's just our stuff. Like, no one cares. And when it goes so far as to be disrespectful to each other, start to argue and people want to fight, I'm like, bro, like, <laughs> chill out, man. Like, we, I've found that, I think about it like this, and I'll end my comment here. There's some of us within our culture that can be nicer to a white stranger than a black friend. And I find that very disturbing. So I'll leave it there. Right. <laughs> right. I'm gonna eat my uh, little snack here. I guess that, that was a mic drop on that. Um, ain't nobody following that up with no final thoughts. So we just go. <laughs> <laughs> we just gonna keep that one. We gonna we gonna leave it right there. Hey, I am right. look. Y'all gonna stop putting these pictures of James Earl Jones up. Everybody putting the happy birthday video got me scared. Every time I look, I think the man go and happy ninety four. Man, stop it. That's bad. That's a mess. Y'all got me up here scared. <laughs> it's, when, it's when they put the clouds behind his head. <laughs> <laughs> look at this picture, dog. Y'all, man, look at this. And y'all don't tell me this look like. I swear I thought James Earl Jones had died. Look at this picture. Look at this picture. I saw this picture, And they got the font on there. The, the, the that boy, obituary ready. Nah. Y'all gonna stop hitting me with your spear, Daddy. <laughs> I thought this man died. I'm scared. 
I'm like, oh lord, not another one. <laughs> Yo, that's wild. Alright, let's keep this thing going, man. If you just tuning in, <laughs> welcome everybody to Talk That Talk, where we have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music education, and more. Uh, as soon as you come in, go ahead and hit that like button. Smash that like button. Let's get these likes up, guys. Once again, I appreciate all the comments that's going on in the chat, but go ahead and click that like button while you're chatting. Also, please make sure that if you're watching us on YouTube, Go ahead and subscribe to the network. And if you're watching us on Facebook, go over to the YouTube and subscribe to the network and turn on notifications. All right, let's move on to the next topic. I'm going to kind of go back a little bit. Are we slowly moving into a culture where no one cares about music? Are we slowly moving into a culture where no one cares about music. Maya. I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm trying to process that because the first thing that comes to mind is that haven't we already been transitioning that way? Um, when we think about what's on the radio, when we think away the way we, we think about the way that music is produced. Um, instead of having actual instrumentation, we now have phonics of, I don't know the terminology, but we got, you know, um, the little button that go like this, ding, 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 not a keyboard, but the, the little sound maker thing <laughs> to make beats as opposed to using uh, actual uh, recordings. Of, sure. Great. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying like, I just think that that is the way in which nobody care. Well, we've gone away from the real thing. We've gone away from what we consider to be the essence and the foundation of music in itself. I mean, we talk about it on a weekly basis, the rap daddies every single week or that in which that these programs are producing, but it's because that's, uh, I mean, really the closest thing that we have to real music are the samples that people uh, put on their rap songs or their R&B songs of today. Um, so I think in a sense, yes, um, no one cares about music, but I guess my question on that is what, what do you mean by that? Um, are we slowly moving into a culture where no one cares about music? I would disagree in the sense of no, uh, I think if no one actually cared about music, then there would be no arts. There would still be no, um, there would be no bands. There would be no dancers. There would be nothing in that sense. Um, so maybe, you know, as we go along the panel, we'll kind of pick that apart a little bit more, but just on a very high level, that's where my mind went. All right. <clears throat> Chief, are we slowly moving into a culture where no one cares about music? Um, <clears throat> no, I think people care about music, but I think we're going into a culture where people have transformed what that means like what the definition of music to them really is and so people are are redefining how they identify with music you know what i mean like so so for example um you know people who consider themselves like when when you heard like i, I think i always try to use current things to try to compare this uh future was saying that he would destroy jay-z in a versus battle um 
to me, it's like, you like to me, like you gotta be kidding me. Like, you know, you, you gotta be kidding me. Like, but, but that's because we believe, um, we believe our own shit. Sometimes like, like you start to believe and get hyped up on your own belief of whatever you think you are so much so that you can't even leave. You can't leave with any humility in any situation. And you are so quick to dismiss the things of the past. I think that happens very commonly within um, just general American culture. We love to forget what happened before us so that when we forget what happened before us, we believe that what we are creating now is the first of everything. So that's why people who believe, they believe they're making the new stuff. They're, they're believed that whatever they're doing is the beginning of things. And I was explaining to my kids today, we were talking about eighth note triplets. And I was like, you know, um, <clears throat> I was explaining to them how the eighth note triplet is so present in a bunch of music we listen to. So if you listen to Caribbean music, um, um, any Calypso type of stuff, do, 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 you just have a two against three type of vibe going. And I said, if you listen to a lot of the trap music, you have the triplet, but we, but those artists feel like they have recreated a whole thing when really you're just borrowing from things that have already been done, but you are so ignorant to the past that you um, you don't lead with, lead with humility. And when you don't, you're not leading with humility because you don't care about the past. So are we moving into a culture where no one cares about music? I'll say um, they care about their version of music, but they don't care about um, the things that have been done to, to give them the platform to be able to do that. We were just talking about how we should have appreciation for the, the, um, the privilege that we live in. We live in a very privileged world. Well, anything that we want can really be at our fingertips. If you want to hear something that comes from the past, you literally, if you have an Apple Music subscription or Spotify you can, or YouTube or any of that ish, you can just go look it up. Nine times out of 10, you'll find it. And because we don't um, sometimes care to try to connect the past with the current, um, and then when we do, we try to duplicate it like exactly, which is just ridiculous. So, yeah, I don't think we are moving into a version of music that I understand or that I not understand, but that I um, I can, can I connect with in most parts. But there are pockets of us that are doing really great things. They just don't get the platforms that are necessary to be able to really, really push out that message. So there are really great musicians out here that are doing great stuff. But unfortunately, the, the nonsense gets the, uh, the platform, which is the same way when Gangsta Rap was going on and people were killing each other, West Coast, East Coast stuff. While Biggie and Tupac was going crazy with each other, you still had KRS one rapping. We didn't pay attention to that though. So that's how I that's how I see it. There's always going to be some outlier and undercurrent undercurrent of of true essence of the art form. Always. All right, Rick. Are we slowly moving into a culture where no one cares about music? The answer is no and yes, right? Because I want to, I want to go even more on what Mario was saying because I think he's right on. Like, this is not new to music, y'all. Every single generation has done this. They have rebelled against the music of the last generation. Usually, the generation we identify with, the people that we listen to, come from our generation. They are us. So it's easier for us to to identify with it. I mean, obviously, you're going to have them old souls. I'm one of them. I like Luther Vandross. I like Earth, Wind & Fire. I like all them old daddies. You know, I, and in most cases, I may reach for that before I reach for, you know, 
something that's out now, but that doesn't mean that's what's out now is not good. That's why I do this whole thing. Majority of the music that I'm introducing people to is this new generation, new people. Person I'm listening to the most right now is Lucky Day. I like Lucky Day. That dude is is sharp, man. And he has a new album coming out soon. I like Moonchild. They have a new album coming out soon. Robert Glasper just announced his new album coming out soon. Uh, I was going to say it tonight on the show. Black Radio 3 is coming out in a few months. You know, so that water, you can ingratiate yourself with one and two. Because I'm sure part three, yes, sir. The water's a late Minnetonka. But um, it's not new. It's something that's happened throughout history. I asked my dad one time. And this was one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had with my dad. I went up to my dad and I was like, hey, dad, what type of music did grandma listen to? Like, just randomly asked my dad, like, a random question. He's like, what? Because I was like, dad, you listen to Earth, Wind & Fire. You listen to the Stylistics. You listen to Luther, Anita Baker. That's your music. What was grandma listening to? He was like, grandma used to listen to a lot of Temptations, you know, like that generation. My grandmother was born in the 30s. So I'm sitting there like, all right, so the Temptations came out in the 50s. So she was in her 20s when she fell in love with this group. Those people were a part of her generation. And I asked her, I was like, um, did she like Miles Davis? Because, you know, I'm a huge Miles fan. He was like, yeah, she liked, everybody liked Miles Davis. He was like, you know, Miles Davis was, was bigger than the music. He was a, he was what black people looked at as like what they wanted to be. Like that was the pinnacle. Miles Davis was the richest black musician out there, period. Miles Davis had 11 Ferraris, you know, or was it 13? One of the two. Miles Davis had like multiple Ferraris. He had money. He had the baddest chick on his arm. He had to fly his clothes on. And he was one of the only black people in the country that was cussing white folks out. You know, he was what people looked at. So I look at that and I'm sitting there like, so did you listen to Miles Davis? No, <laughs> no, that wasn't my music. You know what I was listening to? You know, that doesn't make the music that we listen to any less great than what it is. And it also doesn't make what these kids now and every group of kids from their generation listen to any less important than what we're doing. I'm sorry. It's some rappers right now that I really I can identify with. Kendrick Lamar. Uh, J. Cole, this cat from California, Corday. If y'all never heard his music, Corday is a young cat. Actually, he's from Baltimore, but he lives in uh, Naomi Osaka's boyfriend. He's he's dope. He's a dope rapper, man. I like Tyler, the creator. I think that brother is creative as hell, man. He's sharp. You know, there's a lot of people. I can't necessarily get into the mumble rap, but you put on March Madness by Future, I'm going to be secretly just... Because I like March Madness by Future. You know, do I think he can stand on the stage with Jay-Z? No. But I'm also from that Jay-Z generation. So, you know, I, me personally, I agree with Jay-Z. Only person I can see standing on the stage with Jay-Z is not is on um, Lil Wayne. That's it. Not even Nas. Nas got hits. He ain't got Jay-Z hits. You know what I'm saying? Or R. Kelly. And we know he ain't going to be on the stage with, with Jay-Z. He's going to be somewhere else. So, um, yeah, man, I I don't think that um, that people are moving away from our music, I think, or from music. I think we're seeing a cultural shift to their music and what they like. And to be honest, y'all, what they like is what's popular culture. We old now. We don't want to admit it. We old. I just you know? said this today to my yeah. students. Just said the same thing. Mario, I cannot believe that I'm going to be 40 this year. 
Like that shit blows my mind. I turned 40 in December. I can remember being 18, pulling up Norfolk State, or 17. I was 17, y'all, when I went to college. I can remember 17, pulling up in Norfolk State, my parents dropping me off, giving me $20 and saying graduate. (laughs) I can remember that like it was yesterday. And that was over 20 years ago, bro. And I'm saying like, damn, I've been an Omega for 20 years. I can remember being 19 and um, being a part of a non-hazing, non-pledging process in Norfolk State membership in, uh, selection process, you know, and doing all those things to be an Omega. And now it's 20 years later, bro. We old. So let these kids do what they do. Let them control everything that they want to do. You know, that's where we are, man. So, ooh. Mario, I'm old, bro. <laughs> Smith. <laughs> uh, I just said the same thing today to my students. Yeah, bro. you I'm old. Getting I ain't old. We're getting up there, dog. We're definitely getting up there, man. Oh y'all, party, party. But I'm saying I can remember meeting y'all for the first time. You know what I'm I saying? Was 17 when I met you, dog. Right, right. Well, I was 18. You know what I'm right. saying? Now I'm about to be 40. <laughs> like, golly, bro, my yo ass getting old too. Don't even try it. That's all right. <laughs> why? Why people be gonna pull here? You gonna pull her in? Right, right. <laughs> well, well, first you got somebody parts that hurt that didn't used to. I know you do. So now, don't start. Don't start. I'm still thumping and bumping, baby. I don't know what you're talking about. That's <laughs> she still got a two in the front. She still got a two right. in the front. You get that three, daddy. We're going to see what we're going to see. And not now, but not necessarily when you get the three, but when them threes get up there, when you start, when you get past that, that five, yeah, it start changing a little the bit. The knees stuff start sounding like wood. Yeah, stuff start cracking a little bit. Maya, can I ask you like a question? I got a I'm going to look at you when I say this, Maya. Let me ask you a question. Is that a Zelda? Are you looking at me? Yeah, I'm looking right at you. Is that okay. a Zelda hoodie? What what is it? Is that a Zelda hoodie? No, it's actually a Christmas tree. Um, oh, this is my Christmas onesie. Oh Lord, we didn't had the we didn't had the cat. But it's just so comfortable that I yeah. have it on. Now we got saw, a Christmas tree. I saw you put it on, and I was like, "What? What? what, what yeah, it's on? it's a it's just a Christmas tree onesie." Look at oh, my over here yeah. looking like Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Go ahead, my. Thank you. Christmas time is here. Yeah. All right. Uh, who? Oh, yeah. Quan. 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 Are we slowly moving into a culture where no one cares about music? Uh, I think everybody said no. I don't. No. Music will always be important. Uh, music. I absolutely believe that. Um, we're just at a point where. You know, as music educators, we have to adjust to what's the next wave. You're always going to have, like Rick said, those pockets of individuals that relate to the past. Like, I feel like uh, Anderson Pack is kind of like this generation's James Brown. Like, we're talking, and honestly, people, you know, have just been, you know, hyped on him since he's been doing with Bruno Mars, but the guy really has been having hits. Like from suede to uh, bubbling, like he got some hits, you know what I'm saying? So, but also, you know, you have to uh, be able to relate to to some of the things that's going on uh, of today. Because honestly, I've been listening to uh, Frito Bang, you know, lately. He's a rapper from out of Baton Rouge. You know, YB, young boy, he got a cult following. Like he's not even on the radio, but he's one of the number one 
you know, hip hop artists in the world at this time. So even though I don't understand some of it, you know, I listen to it and, you know, I respect for what they're doing. But I mean, music is, is always going to be there to stay. But you have groups like Moonchild, like Rick said, that that always going to give you that that new that new soul, that that old feeling. I mean, it's just honestly what what your palate is able to taste at this point in your life. And you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy, Quan? It's a lot of people that like Moonchild. Mm-hmm. And they like, man, this one of the most soulful groups I ever they heard. They don't life. know they white. And they and they know it's three white people. I mean, yep. real Caucasian too. Yes, yes. Amber yeah. Navarro, she is a she is a advocate for the community, though. I saw yeah. that man. Dope. Yeah, she she's dope, super bro. dope. Like, she, but yeah. that's three white folks. Yeah. So, under some circumstances, some circumstances, Quan, some of these haters out here, like you talked about earlier, will be like, "Oh, now I can't listen to her no more because it's white folk." Oh, they've taken our music. First time I heard her, I thought she sounded like Erica Badu. I thought it was Erica Badu in like in a group. Uh, she has, people, like like people ain't people ain't start stop listening to Michael McDonald. So, they did because a lot of people in our community didn't listen to Michael McDonald to begin with. I know I didn't. Yeah. We ain't grow up listening to that. Hey, if you if you ain't we, never we, heard, we, I keep forgetting. Yeah, no, he but, got some water. I'm just saying we ain't grow up. He listening. got some hits. But but I, but I think but I but I think when you're a music lover and you're a music educator and you're a music aficionado, like the bottom line is you, you like what's good. Like you like what, what, yeah. what feeds your soul. Like it's certain, it's certain songs, man, that you can listen to. And you'd be like, damn, like that's my jam. You could listen to certain songs and be like, it's so nostalgic when the, you can recollect and reflect the first time that you heard it. Like, it's just like, I like Billy Joel. The dude's dope to me. I like you. I like Hall of Notes. I like, I mean, if it's good, it's good. You know what I'm Hall saying? Hall of Notes are all time. Hall of you know what I'm saying? I and can't we, go for that. No, no, no. What's the dude that made the song? Uh, what you hey, do for Tina, Ma- Tina Marie. Tina Marie. Yeah. Shit, like she got hits on top of hits. I mean, shit, I mean, it's, you like what you like. And honestly, with these kids, they like what they like. And then sometimes we always find that that universal song, that crossover hit that we all like together, and that's the beauty of music that can uh, bridge generations. It's certain Temptations hit that my mama used to dance to that I love. It's certain, in my opinion, the best era of music for me is honestly Motown era. That Motown I like the seventies. I like the seventies. Yeah. The stylistics, the Dale yeah. Onyx, Luther. Oh, I, I got to go with the seventies. I like the sixties. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Sixties and seventies. Honestly, to to, to to the end of because the eighties through the eighties because because Anita I Baker, agree. Luther Vandross, Get all wham, them. wham, no. bro. I don't know why people George Michael dog like yeah. hit. But but here's a See, George Michael got my favorite Christmas song. Last Christmas I gave you my heart, but the very next day you gave it away. Good, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can't sing the joint song <laughs> on the live. <laughs> why can I name the I can sing whatever I want. That no, ain't you can't. yes, you can. You could have learned them copyright right. long, and it was less than eight seconds. We good. Was, was it less than eight seconds? It was. Go ahead. Edit it. Edit it. I'm gonna, to, yeah, <laughs> I'm, gonna to, I'm gonna have to go back and count it. <laughs> <laughs> 
But no, man, I, I definitely agree. 60s, 70s, 80s was great time, great times of music. Not even just for, for black music, not even for soul music. Cause you I hit all that rock stuff too. All mm-hmm. them all them classic rock, all the all the 80s rock, early or late 70s rock. I like hey, me, me and Rick they had plenty of plenty of uh conversations about our rock, our rock days. So yeah, man, I you know, those are some great times of music, man. But can I, but I just this one comment. You know what I realized when I was younger, though? I think now this generation is more freer to like whatever they want. Like not being ugly when I, I came up, the best rapper for a small time frame, if either you was cash money or no limit, or you was a fan of Soldier Slim. And if my brother heard me playing some Hall of Notes, I would have been the laughing stock of the whole neighborhood. I think this generation, they're they're accepting of who they are, regardless of, you know, if you like it or not. That's one thing I do respect about this generation. They're fearless. If they like it, they like it. If they into, you know, the emo stuff, if they love one of my favorite artists is Billie Eilish. She's dope. If you into her, you know, that's cool. So I, I do respect that about this generation, though. Yeah. And I Cleo, definitely, Cleo Soul is dope. Her first album. It's dope. That second album is garbage. But I think, Quan, you are absolutely right, bro. Because this generation of kids, man, they do what they want, how they want, when they want. And I love that about them, man. They are fearless, bro. And they've been they've been brought up to be that way because they were brought up by our generation. And we are, we are rebellious as hell. We just ain't have the guts to actually go to the level that they are. These kids, man, walking out of schools and all, I, I can't imagine walking out of school like that, you know, and protest or something. Like These kids, man, they're fearless, and I love that about them. I just want them to also be educated to what is happening from the past so that they are more, you know, informed about the decisions they are making, and they can actually use, you know, historical context to back up what they're doing. But y'all, yeah, um, yeah you're right, Quan, because I remember growing up in my neighborhood, bro, I used to listen to Radiohead in secret because I love Radiohead. I like Smashing Pumpkins. It's a lot of groups like that I like. I listen to Aerosmith. Yeah, Aerosmith. Um, my favorite, my favorite, one of my favorite songs is Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. That song is a feel-good song anywhere. So much so, we closed with it in uh, our first Honda show with PV. Like, I yeah. love that chart. So, yeah, man, like being fearless, this generation is definitely that, man. And I hope that they are able to go to levels that our ancestors weren't able to go to and even us, man. Kudos. Yeah, to they, I definitely would say this this generation of kids is different because all of them like anime now. Well, we ain't going to talk about that. But but we, I did too. I'm about to say Dragon Ball Z is, is where it's at. You tripping. Like, come on, dog. The whole Namek. Man, you tripping. Chief, stop yeah, shaking your head. Stop it, Chief. You ain't hit that Dragon Ball Z daddy. I never watched any of that. I've never watched any of that. He watched Power Rangers. Power Rangers was like that's anime. Whoa, 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 whoa. It was real life anime. No, no. It was just real life. No, no, no. no. But doesn't that defeat the purpose of it being anime if it was Thank you. Let me correct <laughs> you. It saying, is like, not anime. I don't, <laughs> first I don't of know all, the rules. I don't know the rules on it, but I know I ain't. First of all, the, if uh, we're gonna talk Power Rangers yeah, now, Power Rangers, Power Rangers was actually actually connection from Voltron. 
that's where the idea for the Megazord and all that kind of stuff came from. But Japanese culture, those those kinds of films were being made like that anyway. If you go, if you go and watch the Spider Man, um, I think it's a Spider Man movie. It's Japanese. If you watch that, you'll see Power Rangers all in that because that was just the culture. So it ain't got nothing to do with anime. Ain't no cartoon hey, in that. The same I'm, thing. I'm supporting my Power Rangers now. Thank you. Eat the cake, anime. If you don't get your master on, look at me. <laughs> hey, man, hey can we talk about how that man had that arch hairline the whole time? That man ain't had no parts of edge up. Wasn't it, Zach? Exactly. That man had that U-shaped part uh, edge up the whole show. Break dancing. Hey, hey. First of all, first of all, no, and I'm not defending that hairline because the hairline was trash. But let me tell you something that I, I realized. I met Walter Jones, man. Uh, cool dude, by the way. But he he actually hit me to something that uh, I didn't even think about because I told him I was like, you know, when I was a kid, I looked up to him because he was a black superhero. You know what I'm saying? That I had never seen before. He said, hey, do you realize that I was the first black superhero on film, live on film? And I said, no, I, I, I never realized that. He said, yeah, think about it. I came before Blade. Yeah, that, his hairline was trash. But uh, but he was like, yeah, think about it. I came before Blade. Like, we all know Blade as, you know, like the kind of the first hero. Da, 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 da. But like, he was like, think about any black superhero that you saw on film. And I was like, whoa, that's. That's deep. Like I never knew that. <laughs> he ain't got no hairline, dog. Well, he, well, he got a hairline. It just was trash. Well, he fixed it now. If you find an older picture of him, he's fixed it now. That was after Power Rangers. That was after Power. Ooh. Rangers. Ooh. Well, we gonna act like you can um, have that Go Go Power Rangers going in the background. Absolutely, absolutely. I am a one hundred percent fan. I watched the new version with my son. Dag on right. Maya, let me ask you this. Did when, did you watch Power Rangers? Because my sister used to run home with me to make sure we caught it. That right, is that before you? Yes, I did. I didn't know if the girls liked it as much as we did because I was obsessed. Maya, I used to sprint from the bus stop to the crib <laughs> to make sure I ain't miss a second. My in a deep sweat. Right. Like, God, Blank man. No, Zach yes. was before Blank man. Zach was before Blank man. <laughs> Blake Man is hilarious. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a great movie. We <laughs> are so off topic right now. We have gotten the movie. But yeah, Blank Man was dope though. That before Spawn. Yep. He was before Spawn. Michael Jai White. Michael Jai White was hitting it, but he was before Spawn. Absolutely. So yeah. All right, let's keep this thing rolling, man. We because we could talk. I, well, I can talk Power Rangers all day, but I can definitely talk movies all day. All right, let's keep it rolling, though, man. If you just you weak, your microphone was just shut off. You weak. I did. That was my fault. Look, that was my fault because I'm sitting up here. I accidentally hit the mute button. Uh, welcome everybody to talk that talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, music education, and obviously more because we were just talking about Power Rangers and movies and all that. Yes. Uh, please make sure that as soon as you come in, you go ahead and smash that like button. Hey man, we got to get these likes up, man. I'm I'm enjoying the conversation I'm seeing in the chat, and I'm also enjoying the number of people I see viewing. But you got to go ahead and hit that like button. Let's get these likes up. Let's make these likes match the number of people viewing also please make sure that you subscribe to the network 
and turn on notifications. We're getting to our last topic. And then once we uh, once I go ahead and announce this topic, then I'm going to put the link in the chat so that you can call in with us and give all your thoughts, views and opinions on anything that we talked about. All right. Last topic. Since music is related to culture. Has today's music affected marching band creativity? Since music is related to culture, has today's music affected marching band creativity? Chief. Uh, yes and no. So I, I'll say the, the majority of the popular music. Um, so that's so let me respond to it like this. <clears throat> Rap music has become pop music. So because it's become pop music in most cases, like the traditional um the music of their of our of the time is kind of what what the kids go to to write like that. So we talk about the stuff of the '90s and stuff like that. They were playing um, the pop music of the '70s, like when you play Earth and Fire. It just so happened to last long. And in our band culture, we love to like re- recycle a lot of stuff. So because of that, you'll have people still playing, you know, cranking up Boogie Wonderland and you know, what I'm saying 2005 and shit like that. So like. It just depends, like some stuff we consider classic and some stuff we consider like, you know, just a good song, whatever. Now, obviously the orchestration of some of those older tunes, uh, I mean, or, or the, the arrangements uh, allowed more more orchestration, allowed more things. You you, you were able to, to voice things better. You had more of um, array of, of colors and sounds that you could put into music when you had those different songs. I just think people are, are can be, some bands, not everybody, but some bands can be off just lazy when it comes to the songs that they're writing um, because they don't want to look for things that are off the box. There are a lot of great songs out. There are so many things and we have more access to those great songs now than we did before. Before 2005, we didn't have YouTube. You can literally go and look up anything. Everything's available. So there's a a lot of great songs um, available. Sometimes people think just get a bit lazy as it relates to trying to find new things to play. And we feel like we have to play Rap Daddies all the time. Like, non-stop it's like we could just do something else but i mean to different parts of the country those songs hold so it seems seemingly they seem to hold so close to certain cultures and whatever and people feel like they have to have them like you know and if you do anything outside of that you know unless it's a certain school we you know, you can you can get away with doing different things but i will say this um uh let me read this last part of the question I mean, has it affected? Definitely has it affected. It's affected the, the um, what we used to call, like, what was the name of it? Jesus Christ. Um, non-returnables. We used to have songs that I feel like there was, like, farther back in the day. I don't know when I marched in Norfolk. We had stuff that was non-returnables. Like, I, we, we definitely, we played Red and Yellow. It was nothing you're going to play back today. There's nothing you can play back today. So, like, it was, um, you know what I mean? Like, even when we played Behold, there's really nothing you can play back today. So like there's many schools that used to try to find stuff just to try to match the stuff we played because it was nothing that you could play because your rap song that you played with the other schools, the other nine of the games, you don't have anything to play against us because you don't know what to do because we're going to be playing stuff off the beaten path. Like, it's not going to be the, the traditional things. So um, I think it depends on the school for sure. Um, yes, it has affected the culture, um, but I think it's because some people are just a little bit lazy in terms of the, the way that they reach for music and that's for certain schools not everybody so you can't play nothing back after behold because if you hear behold we about to we go. out <laughs> we we go. Go. right it's tight exactly we go block it up let's go we out. 
All right. Quan, um, <clears throat> since music is related to culture, has today's music affected marching band creativity? I think I think Mario kind of hit it on the head. Is honestly, how, how far are you trying to research, and how far you and how far are you trying to research, and how how far are you willing to dig to find that that song that is going to be like he said now now returnable song. What I've realized is there are certain songs that are inside of albums that are like so awesome to where like they're hidden gems. To where it's like, if you play it and then you arrange it well, people will be like, damn, who made that song? Like, that was the most exciting part for me when I saw bands battle. If you can take a song that nobody really knew from an artist that was well known, that's inside of that album, because you really listen to that album. And that's a whole different conversation about the difference between making singles and albums. But to really find... That that hidden gem in that song, and you write it and you blow it to to where the whole crowd be like, God damn, like it ain't nothing you can do to uh you know return. Uh but in regards to the second portion of your question, creativity. I don't want to sound old, but some of the rap songs you gotta put more into it than actually actually the song. And I think I don't know if that's create being creative or it's like you're just filling in the gaps. And again, it's not every song, but it's like I've seen some songs where it's like, bro, that's not even in it, but I feel you, you know. So I mean, shit, I mean, it depends. It depends on on who who's behind that pen or who's you know arranging on that computer. So as it relates to culture. Shit, I don't know, bro. Like, uh, I'm tired. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on the eye on how you want to look at it. Because if I have to add a, a, a counter melody to this song, I am being creative. But is the music creative? So. Rick, since music is related to culture, has today's music affected marching band creativity? Yes and no. Yes, because as Mario said, people just picking the the. Okay, I'm a, I'm gonna be so politically correct on this answer, Mario, because I'm tired of getting these weird. <laughs> there is a formula, y'all, for being considered one of the best bands, and I'm gonna tell the secret. One of the parts of the formulas is you have to have a large book. People are adamant about going out here telling people how many songs they have in their book, whatever that number is. Um, I have my own opinions on these large books, but that's a whole nother story because you'll never play that stuff in a game. But it's easier to pad a book with 30 rap songs that is literally 16, you know, to 32 measures of music total as opposed to keys. Right. Or in the same yep. your kids can play in D minor. Cool. Right. Or or F major, your kids can play E flat minor or C. I mean uh E flat major or C minor. You in there. Because those are the same fingerings. You can play that concert F, you good. So it's easier to pad your book with those type of charts and then put the second part of the formula, which is high baritones and horns and a groovy bass line and drum part in there. 
rather than learning some ridiculously hard arrangement. That's why I give Southern credit because for every rap daddy that they hit, they got a beyond and they got like uh, Quan, what you were talking about, the song that people don't even know. Two examples. I had never heard the song I remember before. I've never heard that song before, but listening to them play it made me go find the song. And I, it's a, it's a dope track. You know, I think their arrangement is better than the song. Sorry. But um, yeah. And then uh, another example that comes to mind is that's the way of the world by earth, wind and fire, that album, every single song on that album was an, on the radio, except for one. And the one song that wasn't on the radio is my favorite song on the whole album. And it's a song that when I get my own band, I want to try it. It's got mixed meter in, in it and all. It's called See the Light. It's the um, it's one of the ballads on that. That's the way of the world album. So for those of y'all that trust my music since, go check out See the World. I mean, See the Light by um, Earth, Wind and Fire. It is a hot chart, man. Like, it's crazy. And it's one I'm going to do once I get my own band. But those, I agree with you, Quan. Those tracks are, the to me, the most influential in HBCU band culture, but they're hard. I know a lot of band directors, Quan, that will turn down arrangements because they're just, it's going to take too long for the band to learn. You know, from what you put in them to the actual melodic content to how long it is. Like right now, all these band directors are on the same, under the same stress. They have to put out a band that can play 50, 60, 70, 100 songs to counter out the other band that's doing the same thing. They're going to hit them rap daddies repeatedly because it's easy to learn them. It's easy to execute on them. The kids like them. So they play them at full force. They usually learn those faster. That's the second part of this conversation, or third part of this conversation. The students put more energy into them songs, them rap daddies, than they do into learning those other songs. Like Mario's Critique of PV. You know, they're a great band, but they don't always know their music on some of the songs as they do with others. And I agree with them on that. Them rap daddies, you know, I ain't heard a rap daddy that they sound like they didn't know it. But when they hit um, that someone to love you at the beginning of the year, it was like, uh, yeah, they don't know that. Or some of those other charts. Um, what was or the, the Chloe Bailey song? You know, so I think that it's all about the energy and the uh, efficient, uh, how efficiently the students uh, can learn this music and put the energy into playing it at a high level. But I also think that it's easier to be considered a successful band when you constantly squeeze in them rap daddies in the fifth, during the game, everything else. So much so now, Quan, that on um, Darrell and them show, a rap song, one song of the year. Like one of them rap daddies, one song of the year, that power by Southern. And granted, you know, uh, Dr. Taylor wrote, he wrote that a lot of it. Good, you know, kudos to him, man. It's a strong song. But that one song of the year over, you know, Young and the Restless, which I thought was song of the year, you know, like from an execution standpoint and a writing and harmonic standpoint or some of these other tracks that are out there that people are playing. So, you know, I don't think that the culture, culture side of it affects what we're talking about, although I think that that's where the culture is going. Creativity is going to be what what those particular bands say it is. And I, I think that's where I've come to, Quan and Mario and Maya and Julie. I think that's where I am now. At the end of the day, with all the fighting that we're doing to make other things popular other than just the group thing, I'm also a realist and realizing no matter what I think, that's where the culture is going. 
And that's, you know, and in some cases, it's not even dictated by musicians. It's dictated by non-musicians who have a louder voice and a bigger platform. All right. Maya, since music is related to culture, has today's music affected marching band creativity? So to me, this is one big cyclical contradiction, honestly, because I'll tell you why. Well, clearly I have no choice but to. Um, one part of it, the creativity, the songs are out there. The options are out there. The more than just the rap days, everything that comes on the radio is out there, in which we have, or you all have all mentioned in some shape, form, and fashion. So in that regard, no, I don't think that, well, yes, it does affect quote unquote creativity in the sense of, no, well, no, let me not say that. I think it affects not necessarily the band itself, but the staff, because who was putting the, this type of music or who was making the choices to play said songs or said arrangements in front of the program in itself. So I do think, think that that's one part of it. Now, the other part of it is, you know, saying, OK, well, sure, if the rap songs are easier to play, that also contradicts conversations that we've had in the past. Right. So if it's easier to play, does that make it right? Because if we're going to have a program of substance, if we're going to have a program that is going to push the narrative, that is going to push, I don't care if it is the easiest thing, my my band is going to be one of substance. It's going to be one that um, uh, challenges itself. So are we now disregarding what we've said in the past that in terms of, how should I say it? Uh, in terms of what we produce, are we willing to kind of step to the background and say, well, we're just going to do what the easiest thing because we got to get a show on, on, the, uh, on the field in, in seven days or at the end of band camp or what have you. That's a contradiction in terms of that piece of the conversation. If y'all are still rolling with me. I, I, I'm a little confused as to how it's a contradiction because I don't think anybody said that we don't want to play the rap daddies or that. We want that to be the basis. I'm think I think we're all saying, while those songs are important, you know, like mm -hmm. I like a good rap daddy just like anybody else. Matter of fact, um, from that conversation we had with Justin, because he told me I'm not allowed to say that Holy Grail is the only rap song I like. I went back and listened to Holy Grail, and it's still my favorite rap song I've heard, you know, um, from all the bands. So I don't think we're saying that. I think we're saying in addition to having a nice rap daddy in your book or or 10, you can have how many you want in your book. Don't let that be the basis of the fifth quarter. That's been our argument the whole time. You can have the zero quarter. In my opinion, you man, the zero quarter is all about them rap daddies because you establishing, you know, who you are as a band. It's kind of weird to me when I hear bands playing ballads and um, anything in the fifth quarter other than marches and them rap scuds. During the game, play whatever you want. But in the fifth quarter, that's what that is. It's a showcase of your band program. And if the only showcase we hear is them rap daddies, you're not showcasing anything. I mean, people ain't going to like our comments, but it's true. Rap daddies are easier to play and learn than any of them other songs. Like you put beyond the Southern beyond against, you know, some of them, some of them rap daddies It's not even close as far as the difficulty level. So I mean, I yeah, exactly. So I think, well, I think that we're, 
kind of now saying the same thing because so if we're talking about the creativity right so like when pb plays sale or genesis now i have not looked at the sheet music so i cannot be the first to say like whether these are more challenging or complicated pieces versus not i would assume it's yes i could be wrong but I'm saying, so if we are willing to say, okay, the creativity, if there are songs that are out there that are more challenging, but we choose or the, from what we have seen, based off of the evidence, we are more, we're gravitating more towards rap songs or the easier or less challenging pieces because it's easier to build a grander book than have select pieces of greater challenge or that take longer to learn or that takes more instruction to be able to um, uh, depict correctly, um, then isn't that the contradiction towards the, the, the sense of creativity? No, because Maya, in those instances, people aren't playing those songs in the fifth quarter to flex their musical chops. They're playing those songs to flex their muscle. I'm louder than you. I'm more sure. aggressive than you. So like the thing that always gets me, Maya, is a band will go out there, they'll play the most technically proficient song ever, like Mario talked about, the non-returnable songs. They'll go out there and they'll play Getaway by Earth, Wind & Fire. That used to always be one of the go-tos mm -hmm. people would do because it was 16th note galore. They would go out there and play that, and the next band would play a Rap Daddy back because they know the crowd is going to go, ooh, ah, high baritone, screaming mellophone. Like I said, it's a formula to what is considered successful now. So it's easier. More people now, Maya, in my opinion, this is not the opinion of the band world. This is Rick's opinion. More people now are concerned about what the internet says than what they are, what their integrity is as a program. If any program that I'm in, involved in ever, I don't care where it is in the world, we're going to hit them rap daddies. But we're going to hit them rap daddies after we learn get away <laughs> and learn get away at a high level and be able to perform it at a high level. And not only be able to play back that ass or up or whatever the song is we're playing at a high level. You know what I'm saying? Like, there has to be balance. And I think that's what we're saying. We don't see that balance anymore. We see bands play. You showed your age with that. Hey, <laughs> that I don't know, bro. But, hey, but like, we see bands. my cash money check. Right. <laughs> Gangsta bitch and millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I want to hear Never Satisfied. I want to hear all the joy. <laughs> like, that's what I want to hear in the okay. fifth. We don't get that no more. We get, we get out of tune no, uh, attempts at ballads. You know, usually it's the most popular song of the day, so I get that part. That's cool. Uh, I just wish they would pull the tune around. But um, we get, you know, an old rendition of something that band has played for years, and then we get three rap daddies in the fifth. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm sitting there like, and it be songs, Maya, that you've heard before. It's not like they hitting nothing new. Like, I thought the whole purpose behind a, a hundred song book was to have some variety. This week you get one thing, next week you get another. And then the last thing I'll say too, Maya, responding to what you said, you brought up Genesis and, um, and Sale. Genesis served a particular purpose and probably still does. I don't know at PV. Mm -hmm. That was that loud, I just got, oh, like, bitch, that's that song. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then sale, we used to always play in the fifth quarter. We actually, in my opinion, squeezed it because we played it too much. But, mm -hmm. um, whoa, but whoa, 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 whoa. It was one of I, the most. I don't disagree most. with you, but you, you, you squoze that happy too. So, yeah, that was you. 
What else were we going to play? Well, see, let me ask. Okay, okay, okay. This is good, right? So you say what else are we going to play? Because as said, time the book was not that nest, that that grand or or what have you. Now, right. if we're saying that there is a, we probably know which five or six songs we're going to get in the fifth quarter or what have you. Whose fault is that? Because it's not like the band says, I probably let's play whatever. They gonna say that, but at the end of the day, who called the song? Oh, that's a great question, Maya. I'm glad you asked that question. Because so, you know why, Maya? I was never going to put the band out there to sound bad. Well, sure. So that's the band's fault. Because if you learned that um, I, that um, I Don't Want to Come Down that Julian wrote that had been passed out and been out on the stand for months and never got learned, sorry, we ain't going out there and playing it. And that's why I love what Dr. Zachary used to do. Sometimes Doc would say, run that song anyway. I don't care if we don't run it. Embarrass your ass. <laughs> right. Because, yeah. because my you and I both know that in our tenure, there were a lot of songs we had. Secret Garden sat in the band room for a year. We read it in Spring Band oh, Camp and never played it. Because people learn, and this is just specific to that, what they want to learn, what they are interested in. Yeah. And that's why I fight against it so much. There's so much great music, Maya, that could be exposed from the HBCU level that doesn't because it's not them rap that. Every time remember we that, them, right, go ahead, Mario. Rick, Rick, remember that Go Mighty Spartans? Oh my God! Oh, <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> but then we learned this is the way we ball. Like that's the one I'm, and that's like the worst rap daddy I've ever heard. In the ending, Hey, I'm going to say this before, before I get out because this weather getting bad down here. I'm going to say this. So the question is, as a director, what are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to, are you willing to have a quality book or a quantity book? That's really what it boils down. That's the whole point. Well, I can tell you for me personally, Quan, for mm-hmm. me personally, mm-hmm. when I get my HBCU band, we're going to have a 50-song book. 50. What? And them 50 songs are going to be sharp. And we can have songs for every category and pull them joints out. Uh, you want to hit them rap daddy? Go hit them rap daddies. And then we got a whole other set of songs. Like, I think that the book needs to be efficient. You will never play 75 to 100 songs in the stands. You just right. won't. I agree. Right. So I don't know why, you know, that is the standard now. You want to switch it up? Cool. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of our favorite bands played the same songs every week. You know, not bashing Southern, but they played Power every single week. There was not one time I ain't heard that damn song. Shit, I ain't so much song. I'm about to say, Bethune Cookman is is the are the Cropers. playing still playing the Jay Z joint, Hova joint. I I will say that Bethune Cookman is the culprits now, but I mean, back in the day. Dude, they've been playing the same songs for 20 years. No, 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 no. Listen to what I'm saying. They're they're the culprits now. I'm saying like the the Southerns and the Jacksons and the Alcorns and blah, 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 make efforts now to actually play different stuff. But if you go 2000, early 2000s, and we talk about Southern Jackson, blah, 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 or even in the 90s, if you think about what year did 911, someone played that one. Mm -hmm. Southern played that at almost every game. Every game, 
I mean, but it, it, some of these songs have become like some of them have almost become like school song because that uh, I don't give a f from Southern. That's well, all I'm gonna say. That's some of that stuff is that like the signatures. They the crowd yeah. looking to hear it. But like, I would say this about I, I, this one thing: you can't. I, I won't ever take away from Jackson or Southern for real. Like in the years that I've ever heard those band programs, books are not the issue. No, not both at all. of those schools got books for days, but they have. In multiple and like in, in definitely different types of songs. Now you starting to hear more fifth quarter rap songs so from from my experience, and I'm not a Southern aficionado, but a lot of times I used to hear Southern. They were playing different things in the fifth. I didn't always hear like always hear rap songs. I mean, fell fourth, second half when you was really getting into it. Like I think when the swag, I think some of that happens because of swag rules too, not being able to play during the game, and that changed the way certain songs were, you know. You know the time to be able to play them and stuff. So that, I think that had definitely has something to do with people playing more of these rap songs in the fifth and the swag because they didn't play them during the game. So they're gonna get them out. They really want to get them out. And then I think the other part of it is Mario. What Mario was saying. Mario said it at the beginning. It's all about what the people choose to play because a lot mm-hmm. of people might not know who Lucky Day even is. So I can't expect somebody to play Lucky Day if they don't even know who he is or Yeba or. You know, some of these these popular young artists from this time that are making great music. Anderson Park. I haven't haven't heard many people play his music. I heard that Silk Sonic stuff, and it brings up another point. I think it's a reason why people like Silk Sonic so much. Because it's the first time we've heard people play real instruments and music in a long time. I said that a while ago. Yeah, it harkens back. I said the a, same thing, bro. Yeah, I've been saying that for the last few years about Bruno Mars. Yeah. yeah. That's why I love him. But my thing, with my issue with Bruno Mars is all he did was rip off Bobby Brown. But we can talk about that later. Um, but at the end I mean, of the but day. It's, but it's true, though. I mean, if you think about even just when, when Fine China came out, everybody was hitting that joint. When uh, Locked Out of Heaven. No, well, not, no not Locked Out of Heaven. Was Locked Out of Heaven? The Bru- the, what was the Bruno that's Mars? That's Bruno Mars, yeah. That's Fine China was Chris Brown, though. Yeah, I know, I know, but I'm just saying when it saying. came out, I'm just saying when it came out, it was it was something with some substance in it, so everybody was like really oh, yeah, hit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, like the thing because like you listen to Silk Sonic, there are chord progressions in there that people haven't haven't heard in a long time. I ain't gonna say before, they haven't heard in a long time. So when it goes to those, you're like, oh my god, okay, that's that's him. Because we're used to hearing two five one in every song, and in some cases, you know, just five one. Like we're used to that sound, so I, I think that there's plenty, plenty, y'all, of great music out there from great artists that is just not being explored. And that's one thing I'll say about Brian Brian Simmons at Texas Southern; he's playing that stuff. I heard Texas Southern play some Lucky Day. I heard Southern play some Lucky Day, and that was when he was there. Like, that brother got his ear to the ground when it comes to what's popular, and I think that's the advantage, like we talked about on the last show, of having a young band director, having somebody that is listening to what's happening in the world right now. It's their music. It's not just something that they heard from one of the students, from like me, because I won't listen to that. I will go to the students quick. Hey, what do I need to be listening to? What I need to be writing, because I ain't know. I ask, I ask the same. I ask my kids all the same that all the same thing all the time. When to stay current and not be, you know, I I know that I'm not the same age, the young hip band director. Like, you know what I mean? Like, at some point, you get you just 
get disconnected. I mean, and so you got to stay current. And the only way you stay current is by talking to the kids is in now. And so, but that doesn't mean you don't, you know, hit the drumline vibes where you, you know, it's a balance of both generations. And I think that's what has to be um, balanced out, but not necessarily playing the old music, but playing music that has similar orchestra, like similar, like instrumentation of some of the older songs. You can play newer things with instrumentation similar to some of the old songs. So you don't have to always go back and play the same Earth, Wind & Fire songs over and over and over that everybody's heard, but just playing things that um, are like these B-side songs, like some, uh, you know, from artists that you you didn't go and listen to the whole album. You know what I mean? Track seven. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's see what that's talking about. And it may have, it may be a great song and that, that opens up a whole new arena of things to play and, and you know, a direction to go. So. And I think that's what made artists like Rick Ross really pop. Because Rick Ross is not yeah. an exceptional MC. You know, he's, I mean, he's right. not bad. But the fact of the matter is, oh. Rick Ross got some of the most musical rap oh. albums you have ever heard in your life because he had Justice. Right. You heard Justice yeah. League, you already know you're about to get some water. At the end, of, at the beginning of the track, if you heard Justice League, oh, I already know what this is about to be. I don't even need to. Hey. I don't know. It's about to be some chords in there, and it's about to be tight. So, yeah, man, yeah. I think I think there's a lot of good material. I think that as band directors, we don't need to be afraid to ask the kids because we don't know. And I think if we do that, then our bands will be exposed to a lot of different material because it's it's out there. All right, cool, cool. Uh, let's go ahead and welcome in our first guest. You know him. We all know him. Let's welcome Justin to the show. Look out one time, man. What's up, bro? What's going on, Justin? What up, though, bro? Cool, man. Cool, man. I'll change Houston. Going some down work. It's raining. Getting my nerves. But, uh, yeah, man. Get oh, you shit, in my man. city. What you doing in my city? I'm always in, like, my second home. I was just in Dallas uh, the other day. Oh, okay. All right, Cool. Got some um, uh, drum battle out there uh, this weekend. I'll be back out there in Dallas, so always on the move. Oh, did you go to that uh, Paris Battle of the Bands joint? No, I'm uh, I'm actually um doing uh Miss Diana tour. They do for uh, Bucket Die, and she's doing these gotcha. around the country. Yeah, so I, I couldn't make it, but I went to Skyline the day before and did like an exclusive video on them. I'll post the rest of it this week. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that uh video. Yeah, yeah. I did too. Yeah, I just, I just saw I just saw a clip of Skyline. I was like, Jesus Christ, boy. That, that I mean, game. real talk. I mean, <laughs> Skyline and, and 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 much shout out and big shout out to Will and 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 also oh, Will so Young, so who was there before uh, uh, Mr. Williams. Uh, but you know, when you have a big name like Skyline and you competing against them and you were in the same same district, you know, is it, and and you know when I was at the the rival high school, we were both in South Dallas, so. I was at Madison High School, you know, so we were trying to build up, trying to build up that program from like three kids, you know, but hey, man, it's Skyline. You got Skyline and Townview in the same, the same area, you know. Yo, I'm like not, I'm other. not in Texas. How's Alto? Are they, are they still good? Um, I ain't had none from Cisco Boyle, but when he was, uh, yeah, he left. Um, oh, he, oh, the guy that yeah, was there Etu, is gone now. Yeah, Etu Faye is, 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 yeah, he's in oh. Dallas now. He's in Dallas at North Dallas. And shout out to him, man, because he 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 really built that program, bro. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, man. He built Alto from, from the ground up. That's the first man I seen the auxiliary 
uh, every auxiliary girl from the dance to the flag actually play an instrument. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. so, I mean, I, I definitely say, you know, Tim came out here, he's doing his thing. Uh, Will uh, came out to sock, he's doing his thing. Uh, so, you know, shout out to to all the, the Dallas directors who are doing some great things, man. And, you know, yeah. most definitely. So it's, it's great that you shine that light on Skyline, man. But yeah, man, what you got, bro? Um, just a pretty little question. Um, first one, how has COVID changed education? Uh, y'all said some great points, but I was just talking to my like, cousin the other day who was in actually in seventh grade, and I was just thinking, like, bro, like, I don't want to be harsh when I say this. I just feel like COVID, college ain't changing, right? College curriculum to get a degree is not going to change. You can't grade nothing on the curve in college. You got to go through the process, right? A lot of these kids are really going to be either behind or not know something valuable that they should know. It is what it is. Like, Computer learning is cool now, but you know some of the kids were just checking in. These teachers ain't even like really grading, right? You show up, we'll give you whatever grade it is. But like, it's putting someone behind and passing them along. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was a student who got kept back. I was terrible in school. You know what I'm saying? But I even know what it feels like to be retained and not know what I'm supposed to know on a certain grade level. You know what I'm saying? So I can just imagine that like times 20 with COVID and it, it not being their fault on top of a lot of parents not even like really giving a damn if they're on the computer learning or paying attention to what's going on. You know what I'm saying? So like if you ain't got private school education, it's going to be hard for a lot of these schools to, to a lot of these students to either like know what they're supposed to know on a grade level versus COVID exposed a lot of resources that, that these schools have and the government been having for a long time. Like I remember verbatim, like in high school, when we used to have to like go get these little computers, do a little programming and make sure you plug the computer back up, make sure it's charged. Y'all let these kids take computers home. Now, y'all been having resources like that? Y'all been able to give every kid Wi-Fi because y'all doing it because y'all need the government money to keep y'all school systems running, y'all charter schools running. So it exposed a lot, just like I think it put put us behind a lot. But I, it's a balance between negative and positive, no matter how you use it, if you're concerned about your kids. So that's my take on that. Um, are we slowly moving into culture where, where no one cares about music? I'm gonna say no to that because uh, we always gonna care about music, the type of music that you would play. Uh, Rick, you said a, a statement, but who you say um, you feel like somebody is uh, just a new version of Bobby Brown, boy, and that's not the first time I heard that. Like yeah, I heard, like, bro, he said, he, bro, that last album he came out with sounds like a Bobby Brown album through and through, bro. Like I heard it, and I was like, this is a dope ass album, but this sounds like B Brown to me. And I've been on it for years, bro. So yeah, he's more—he's more of a Bobby Brown, James Brown mix than he is Bobby. Bobby and James Brown. If you put it together with his stage presence and the stuff he does on the stage, the way he dances, the inflection of the horns. Bobby wasn't big on horns. Bobby was big on himself, but James was big on the horns in the band. So that's why those two together. But his sound, like his actual sound, Mario, to James, me. James, James Brown, if you go back and listen, no, I get what you're saying. Album. Like, um, you think about some of the stuff from that, uh, that um, unorthodox, the unorthodox album. Some of that stuff is very James Brownish. Listen to, um, I, I agree, to I agree. Dripping in finesse. Listen to Dripping in oh, finesse. I know, oh, I totally agree. And listen to every little step I take. Dripping in finesse and listen to every little step. They sound like the same song to me. The whole album was a '90s. Uh, eight, late 80s, early 90s dip. You know what I mean? That's what it was. Yeah, I mean, One of the things I would think about him, though, I, 
he the thing I don't like when people talk about like like Bruno is that it's not like Bruno doesn't say this. Like Bruno will tell you, I definitely got a lot of my influence from he'll name these people. The same people we talk about, he will say it. People make it seem like he out here trying to steal the culture, act like he he created it. He will say, Yeah, I like definitely try to you know emulate my sound and style from these people. Like he admits he admits it all the time. Yeah, and I guess you know what's crazy about it is even if you write Rick, like I'm saying, it's okay because he's the only one who gives you a reminder what music could be. You know what I'm saying? I should because Bruno got stuff from A to Z, and I feel like you know when we he's bringing it, he's making it okay for younger generations to go back and, and appreciate old music. And that's and that's and we know we're gonna put a Bruno one on on our uh, track. I even feel like that about what his name is. Uh, I don't know what his name is. Uh, the Weekend. You know what I'm saying? We can't be having some little licks of his music. Like, wait, where you get that from? Like, you know what I'm saying? So I feel you. And you can um, tell the weekend listen to Prince once or twice in his life. And uh yeah, and I definitely. the usage of the products, and yeah, it, it most it most definitely can can bleed through his music. Uh it was like his music uh culture today has music. hold on. Music is related to culture, today's music affected by any oh a band's creativity. Um, I'm gonna say, uh, no, uh, bands are gonna be creative to whatever generation they have, you know what I'm saying? So, if, if it's a rap tune generation, that's the music that we're gonna have. We see every, like we just said, a Bruno Mars tune is gonna get played if, if, if it's out right now. I feel like, uh, I laugh at it when, when I hear older band bands when talk about it, but like in today's culture, having an old school hit in your book is like the haymaker. You know what I'm saying? Like you gotta answer this versus back then in the, in the back in the day, all of this was, was was being played. So that's why when I hear old people compare their music, I'm like, damn, all y'all music is one of these, and our music is like one or two hours one of these. You know what I'm saying? It's like, dang, it's crazy mm-hmm. that y'all say that. So the, I guess it's just a matter of the time. But at the same time, I think Maya said it. Um, they put like the samples of old school music in these rap tunes. You know what I'm saying? And that's what kind of make our music hit. Because I'm not gonna lie, I'm still sticking to what I say. Some of these rap daddies be hard to play. You know what I'm saying? It may not be all, all, all of them, but like the licks and like sometimes like the high B flats you want the baritones and the runs that you're giving them, sometimes they'll skate on them because it's, it's just not saying impossible, but it's, it's very tiring within the music. So yeah, man, what I had to say about them three questions. Man. Great show today. I guess my only my only pushback is, Justin, you said that they, that your generation is borrowing from those old songs. So why not play the old songs? Well, one because they don't, like you just said, they don't know what what them old songs come from. Let me, let me put it in perspective. Uh, so a lot of people compliment my sound on my videos, right? I cheat. Mm-hmm. I'm a rapper, and I was a rapper. I use Pro Tools. Whatever I think I'm gonna use to hear what I heard there, I'm gonna give you that product in my in my videos or whatever. Where that come from? I was taking a music appreciation class, and it was the boringest class ever until we started learning about like like Gungorian chants. And stuff like that, and like, because I would call it if I'm looking for an instrumental, I'm gonna call it haunted choir. You know, that would sound like to me, a haunted choir. But then I forget to do it now. I won't say it's Bach or somebody. Meek Mill, you his intros. We know his intros go crazy. Hold on, wait a minute. He used the whole damn uh, sample of one of those songs that he just like spent. Uh, I know he used Mozart's Requiem on. Uh, yeah. I can't forget what song that was. Uh, I, I think about it. Yeah, Mozart's yeah. record, and he, he used a bunch of them. So everyone that hit, he using the sample for. He think I'm gonna go 
play Mozart's Requiem forever in the field. I'm gonna play this uh this uh this meat meal and uh add this uh this this call and response and this tuba break. You know what I'm saying? It's just hard to play. But I mean, I don't. I, the answer to this, I don't think they know where a lot of the, the licks come from to play the music. You know what I'm saying? The band are, are getting younger too, Rick. So, Lord knows. There we go. No, oh my God. Yeah, no. I, I think at the end of the day, for me, man. Me personally, I know I don't know everything. So I want I want to know as much as I can. So I go back and I do research, right? If I don't know a song, like if somebody says, oh man, you know, I didn't know what uh, Carry On was in Norfolk State when we played it. And I knew that was one of my favorite songs. So I went back and I found the George Duke uh, version of Carry On. And now I know, you know what I'm saying? So I think that's more of a personal thing than anything. I'm not trying to push my beliefs on nobody. I just think it's important as a history. I'm a music history major. So for me, I think it's important to know your past to know where you're going. And I think at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot more music that, and from this generation, doesn't have to be that old stuff, like I said, that can be explored with just a little more attention to, you know, research and actually putting that extra work in that we don't want to do. You know, as band directors, we don't want to sit down in no computer and spend hours just listening to music, but we do it because we know that's what's Gonna give us that kind of against everybody else. So I don't I'm not against that type of work, bro, to be honest with you. And I'm not against bands that don't want to do that work either. You know, they don't want to do it cool, especially if they're a successful band. But the best bands, like we talk about Southern, we talk about Jackson, Norfolk State, um, and some of these other programs, Tennessee State, they all will hit you with them rap daddies, but then they're gonna turn around and give you a little spice of something else. And I think that's a I think that's a flavor that we can all borrow from. So I hope to hear uh, more real music. I ain't, well, let me take that back. I hope to hear more full length pieces in the fifth quarter rather than just hitting them rap daddies all the time. I, I think it's just this, the issue is the sameness of the music. When you hear songs that are in similar keys, you hear songs that have similar melodic phrases, and when a lot of people are rapping similar that the rhythms of the song sound similar. So you'll feel like you heard something before. What I think what it's coming down to is not necessarily doing old songs, but having songs that have melodies and counter melodies and moving bass lines or people actually play the bass, or at least if they were playing synth bass, they were moving and it wasn't like just 808s and just like boom, boom. And you got to do so much create creating of on the chart where you don't even know the real chart anymore because all of this, you got to make up mad stuff just to make the song sound like something. And it no, it no longer sounds like the song because you didn't did too much to the tune. But then when we have music that you could write where you you were trying to fit everything in because it was so much to write. Earth, Wind & Fire songs allowed you to do that. Like you could do that when you listen to an Earth, Wind & Fire song. And Bruno Mars songs allow you to do that where there's parts, there's melodies, counter melodies, bass lines, moving things, colors, textures. That's what you want to, that's what gets people excited. That's why when you hear it, you're like, oh, that shit was dope. Why does that sound different? Because we're getting excited about the song, not about the volume. But what about Mario and, and Justin? Please respond to this. A part of it too, y'all. I mean, I, I just want to be real here now. A, a part of it too is that us trained musicians are upset only in music, only in music, y'all. Did you get to skip the training part and go straight to being a, a, a professional musician? Right. You can get a keyboard and a computer 
and do what we have went to school for years to do, trained and worked our asses off, got cussed out by Miss Sanders and Mr. Adams, all those things to be able to do. And this person can sit at finale or sit at a beat machine like Maya said and become a millionaire off of what that is. I think a part of it is hating, Justin. I really do, bro. Ain't no, ain't no part I mean, of it. I'm going to be, I'm a, I'm a be honest with you, Rick. I mean, real talk, what you're saying, and I didn't even think about it until you just said it. It is hating. Because yeah. as a DJ, as a DJ who started out on a belt drive turntable, a Newmark belt, belt drive turntable, a lot of people don't know what it is. A person who had to carry crates and all of that, you know, like really go through that whole process, going from a belt drive to a direct drive to a 1200. It became frustrating to me when I could see somebody who just go when them, when them N6, N6s came out. Who could just go buy an N6 and then just hook up their computer and then hit play and then they're they're the they're the top DJ in the club and I'm like man I've been grinding since I was 16 you know what I'm saying and this dude just because he had the money he just go get that and boom you know so I think it is a little bit of hating Rick because I, I I felt that hate even that even as a DJ man, I, I just felt it on both ends bro. Uh, in college I was known for writing papers like if y'all need y'all paper wrote just let me know. Um, so like if you had a paper that was due tomorrow, 10 pages, I'm gonna charge you about four five dollars, but I'm gonna get it. But how I used to write papers was the memo app, right? So I would read whatever it is instead of typing, I'm gonna just voice text it, copy and paste it, put it on uh on on, on Microsoft, whatever you needed, uh, styles the wrong, whatever the, the, the font context you need, and I got 10 pages on something I actually said versus type, and you wonder how I got it done in a day. Versus somebody who had to actually type and do research. So it is kind of hating, just like comedians. People get mad at Instagram comedians because they do skits and they're making way more money than people who actually understand them. So it's, it's hating, but at the same time, you can respect it because y'all actually grinding out the mud and the times change. We just can't fault that we just born this new generation with technology. You know what I'm saying? I got it up. But I think the other part of it is this, though, man. That's just right now. What about the future? Like, what's going to be considered a classic in the future? What are we going to teach to the next generation after this one? Because humans aren't, hopefully aren't going to stop existing after this generation. So does that mean we're going to have a generation of kids now who aren't as knowledgeable on the things they need to be successful at this? And that's going to be the generation that's teaching the next generation. Like, how are we, how are we providing substance and maintaining a system of excellence from a musical standpoint if we're not passing that down, you know, to kids. Like, I mean, it, it's valuable being able to sit at a computer and put the dots in the right spot on, on the software, but being able to say, oh, that's a C major scale or that's a C major scale in first inversion, that is just as important as being able to do it because then you can do it without a computer. So I'm wondering... What are going to be the the disadvantages of this? Yeah, it's giving a lot of black people access to wealth, and I'm all about that. I want our people, right. to right. you know, like people get mad at me, Justin, because I call Soldier Boy a genius. I think Soldier Boy oh, yeah. is, a genius. yeah, I, I think he's a genius. What other like I don't know many black men grew up in the hood and were able to find one thing and get themselves out the hood and become a multimillionaire doing it. Like that, like we look at Jeff Bezos when he did it with a book company, and oh, he's a he's a genius, he's this and that, but we won't give the same credit 
to a young man that came from the hood to say, I'm not going back. So to me, I put those type of people in the same class. So I'm wondering what is the, you know, what is the disadvantage that's going to come out of it? I think, I think, I got hope because things always invent themselves. You know what I'm saying? No matter how it go. Like I was saying the other day, like how, and even in band today, we still criticize you if you don't know how to read. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna force you to know how to do something, and like you know how how just how y'all y'all get it all the time. We'll sample something, or we get excited about a Bruno Mars song, but all this Bruno Mars song is just a, a replica, which y'all listen to our parents to back in the gap. You know what I'm saying? So things just reinvent themselves in, in certain kind of ways. Like I think this may sound crazy, but I think kids playing outside is gonna come back. Like, you know, we, we complain about kids playing video games all day. It's going to become a thing where, like, you know, staying inside, all kids do is eat, go play the game. You know what I'm saying? Kids get obese and have, like, you know, problems like that. But, like, you know, like, to be fit will come back. You know what I'm saying? It's just a matter of the time frame and where, and, and where is that. You know what I'm saying? So, it may not come back 100, but it may come back, you know, sports ain't going nowhere. You know what I'm saying? So you still going to be the, the football player. You know what I'm saying? This technology changing. Instead of me having to ice my knee, I can go put it in in a, in a uh a wrap around the house. There's a chamber that actually massages. You know what I'm saying? So it's not gonna come back a hundred dollars, but I I do feel you for having concerns about the future generation. So my just hope being things just reinventing themselves and giving us some type of taste from the past. But besides that, I don't know. Maybe you got something, Chief? No, nah, man. I, I just I hear a lot of kids who um who tell me they don't like the music either. So it's not like I know for me, man. I, I I like I like stuff current, old. I like all type of stuff. And I mentioned this on a ton of shows that I have a bunch of different interests. You know what I mean? I'm listening to all types of genres of music, whatever artists. Like, if I like it, I like it. I don't have any type of, like, it got to be from this era. I'm just saying that I, the only thing I'm saying is that I like melodies, though. So songs that the melody attracts me, I'm going I'm to get into it. If I feel like the, the bass line is rocking, I'm going to get into it. I got like Those are the things that pull me into songs. Um, and then you know you you, you kind of figure out where you go from there. But I'm saying when you hear something over and over and over, you feel like you've heard that a few times. Then that's when it comes redundant. Like I, they go, they go, there's a group from the 2000. I always joke on them. Um, Jagged Edge. I feel like every song they did was in the same key, bro. Every song sound the same. Like that. <laughs> Think about Jagged Edge, bro. All they songs sound the same, bro. And that, that's that's from another generation. I mean, but I I don't really. They want my favorite, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I was like, not everything that's past is good. Please don't get, please don't ever believe that is trash. <laughs> I think there's great musicians, like actual musicians who are pushing the envelope in every type of area. What I'm saying is the stuff that gets promoted sometimes is not those people. Aren't those people, the people who are really putting, you know, like being creative and pushing the envelope. Like you were talking about Tyler the Creator. I love Tyler the Creator. I think he's a great artist, you know what I'm saying? I think you know, like there's a lot of people out here doing doing that thing, and I'm just hoping that that, like you said, Justin, that there is a a shift in appreciation for music education for the sake of my damn job, for the sake of all of our jobs and people who are in education. We want to be music educators, but these kids don't want to play instruments no more. We're gonna be tight. If you if you ain't teaching in Texas, Florida, Alabama, or New like Louisiana, then shit. What you don't have a job or something like what? You just you gotta you gotta have music education, man. So like we we I'm hoping that it does too for the sake of what I do, brother. 
And I'm glad you spoke on that. Uh, I had a band director um, just got a uh, new job. But, uh, before you go, uh, Justin, let this be your final thought, bro. Okay, guys, my bad. All right. Um, well, I, you know, you know, on this, I have a question for y'all. I'll talk about that later. What What will it take to make marching band exciting again? On all aspects. Like, for example, whatever made you like, oh, I want to do the band. Or like, everybody have their own thing about why they need the band. By the way, Rick, I'm a 49 fan. Thank you very much. Uh, what would it take for marching band to get excited again in the new generation? Like everybody have their thing. I can speak for me. I'm gonna get off and try to answer the question. I like the big boomer band, a big band coming down the street, and a sound that just get everybody like, I want to do that. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I just want to be a part of that somewhere. Like the big boom sound is just when it at the peak of music when it has it open the volume and like the beautifulness of a of a song, like a peak of it, or either like a a, a woo. Like a tuba just cutting the song and making it go crazy. So what would it take to make marching band or uh, what we do exciting for the masses? I guess. So I'm gone. I think marching band has always been exciting for the masses. I think the movie Drumline helped even more to make marching band. I'll say, I'll say movies and TV shows. So I think seeing it more in popular culture is one. For band members, for kids, the ones that we are trying to attract, I don't think there's anything that will make it more exciting again to the level that it was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know what I'm saying? Early 2000s. I think those days are gone because I don't think this generation of kids has the patience to spend years developing an embouchure. I just don't think they do. I think some do. You know, I think there'll always be some aspect of music in schools. It's just going to be small. It's easier to sit down at a computer and get good, good at coding. It just is. It takes years years to develop an embouchure to be able to sound great on your instrument and do what Southern University and all these other schools are doing. That takes years of development. So from a standpoint of our audience, the people we choose to entertain, what we do will always have for the people that we're trying to attract to do what we want to, it's never going to have that popularity ever again, bro. It's just not. I, I, so I think... I was just going to say so much so why doesn't a band like Mint Condition exist anymore? You know, Mint Condition, we all know who Mint Condition was. They were they were legit. But those type of bands don't exist anymore because music companies aren't financing that type of operation anymore. You're talking about playing multiple people. You're talking about transporting all that equipment and all that stuff, man. It's It's a big operation. I think it's more cost effective not to have horns and bands anymore. Like there's a lot that goes into that. So for me, I don't know if we will ever will enjoy that same success and notoriety from members that we did in the past. I think in order for that to get like that, you need the, the popular culture thing I think is important to have more bands seen on um, the spread what we do and have somebody that's an important figure in, in pop culture, push the message of music education or, or like band, playing in bands and stuff like that. Because there's kids, like, I don't know, I kid, the, the number of kids who join band because of drumline is, is it's like, it's significant, bro. So you can't, I, can, I would never take away the fact that if you had something that really met people where they were now, that was a dope ass movie concept or a, like these TV shows that we think, I think TV's coming out with a show like having this stuff to be more part of normal culture 
I think the kids will get into it. It's I don't think at all that they don't have patience. Kids play video games. They have a ton of patience. Because I can tell you right now, I don't know how to play Fortnite. That's just confusing. And my son got patience it. for the they got patience for the thing that they want right. to be engaged. That's exactly exactly. So I'm but it's the that. difference between patience and difficulty, right? Like patience, like learning to play Fortnite, Mario. If you actually had the time to sit down and learn how to play Fortnite, you can learn it. It's not that it's difficult. You just don't have the time to be able to do that. It, but I'm it, saying to be to be a gamer in general, though. Right. I mean, but that's general, not, even if it's not that, you, you're. What I'm saying, if you got to, if you're a video gamer, you will always find it. It's always going to be a new challenge because there's games constantly coming out. So if, if there's always something new to learn and build on the game. So because of that situation, to me, I, I akin that to the same discipline that it takes to be able to focus on something every day for an hour. Can you give it 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day, and just sit with this instrument and actually give it some time? That alone will change the whole face of. Band culture around America, if kids gave it actually 45 minutes a day. I mean, but Most y'all kids don't get this instrument twice a week or once a week, man. These kids ain't practicing. I mean, and that's, but that's the thing, right? Like, that's the reason why I think it's a little different because, I mean, let's face it. When you first start learning how to play a musical instrument, a wind, a brass instrument, it hurts. Yeah, it it's, really dis- hurts. It's, discour- it's discouraging too. Yeah, it physically hurts. On the chops to do that every day for months, and once you get past the pain, then you can actually get better. But it physically hurts. Me sitting on my couch with some chips and a, and a drink and Fortnite doesn't hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I remember true. those nights, right? Where I had like bloody That's lips, true. and my mom made me stop practicing because I was. But, I mean, but we got kids who still I, play I, football, bro. True. True. But but here's the thing with even what you're saying about playing the instrument versus Fortnite versus playing football. Yeah, football hurts. You know, playing playing the instrument hurts. But the difference between football and Fortnite is there's little success that you can get. You know, even if even if you get even if on Fortnite, I just move move my man up. I did something that I can be proud of. You know what I'm saying? Versus I'm trying to play this G. And I'm still hitting this C, daddy, and, and and my Amisha ain't making it, and I'm still struggling, and it hurts. Uh, no, but you know I'm what saying this, I think man. small victories with with those things uh, have the bigger impact. But I will say this, bro: if you're a band director and you and your kids can play five notes, and you haven't created some fun for them, you a shitty ass director. Five notes. I agree. I agree. Hold up, wait. I agree. There we go. I agree. Five notes. They can play a song. Man, let me find out. I'm starting to rub off. Boy, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I agree, my these these have been already in my, in my sphere. You know this muggle in my sphere for a long time, bro. Right. Boo boo. All right, Justin, man. I appreciate you, bro. Right, we bro. always appreciate you, you. Appreciate your support, bro. All right. Uh five notes, bro. Damn. Quan came up. Quan had to dip, but we gonna welcome another 06 into the into the room. What's going on, Chuck? Hey, what's up, guys? What's going on? What up with you, hey, hey, Rick, stop shaking your head, bro. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all good. Hey, look, um, I just wanted to jump on um the last thing you guys were talking about, just about uh, and I think it goes back to what we've mentioned before on the show, just about exposure. Like, you know, um, I had my first after school uh, wind ensemble rehearsal yesterday and then we did sectionals today. 
And, you know, I just left it wide open. Was, you know, wasn't mandatory. Hey, come get this work. And we had almost a band room full, you know, of music that we just passed out yesterday. And they were just like digging in. And, and again, I only can speak from my experience. You know, I've had concert, jazz and marching since middle school, you know, and, and I was fortunate to have that. So, uh, again, like um, the exposure is, is the key. And that's why we have to have trained music educators in the classroom to expose these kids, not only, you know, to our concert literature, our jazz literature, you know, and then keeping the ear low to the ground. You know, I was always taught that, you know, you only can see so much from the eagle eye view. Sometimes you got to come down off that podium, you know, or come off that the ladder, you know, uh, and, and come down to field level with the kids and, and have that good relationship. I think, uh, Rick, you mentioned, you know, why Brian Simmons is so successful, you know, just the age, you know, and, and he's in that age group to know what's popular. I go through my shit. I'm going through Spotify and Tidal just to kind of listen to current stuff. And sometimes I, I'm like, nah, I got to change, change. Like, you know, sometimes I can't get with it. But uh, I have put in the comments like a popular song that a lot of bands played this year was Industry Baby, you know, and I had never heard the song before. But as soon as I heard it, one of my students, he actually arranged it. As soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, this will work. You know what I'm saying? It had some good counter melody. Uh, it, you know what I'm saying? I see how it could work. And so, again, um, you know, uh, exposure, but also having a, a, an ear low to, um, you know, uh, what's, what's, what's culturally relevant. That's the hallmark of the legendary and another 06 brother, Dr. William P. Foster, you know, he was culturally relevant to what his students were interested in during the time, during the during the 60s. What was the popular music of the time? We're going to play that, but we're also going to play this Sousa. We're also going to play this because he wanted his students to be well-rounded in all facets. And, and I believe that all of us, you know, came from... Uh, you know, programs that, that, that push that as well, too. You know, Chief, you talked about non-returnables. We used to use that term at A&T as well, too. You know, playing a night on Bald Mountain, playing a Takata and Fugue. You know, those are some of those. And those are fifth quarter songs. Right. And, and right. at the fifth quarter, throughout the whole game, it might have been staff members. But when I was in the band, Dr. Johnny B. Hodge, God rest his soul, another brother of 06, and then current director, Dr. Kenneth G. Ruff, another 06 brother, they're coming on the podium, fifth quarter. You know what I'm saying? And we playing those marches. We playing those non-returnables. We, right. we, letting, we letting the book go. I mean, you can go back to the 0-2 battle versus A&T versus FAMU, probably the longest fifth quarter that I've been ever a part of. Um, and those first few songs, uh, Gavortner Fanfare from FAMU, you know oh, yeah. what I'm saying? Uh, Takata and Fugue from us, like, you know, that's that was setting the musical standard. And then years ago, if you look at a clip in 96, uh, FAMU played Rolling Thunder and then A&T joined them. And both directors were conducting together, you know, and, and it was just a powerful moment. So, again, you know, um, it's up to us to set those standards, you know, um, in the classrooms and 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 to keep our ear low to what's culturally relevant. But like you guys mentioned, sometimes it's hard. 
You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's hard to, to, to you know, I don't know. It's kind of like you're trying to put something in the kitchen and you don't have too many ingredients. Sometimes you're dealing with a syrup sandwich, you know? But you, but you touched on something, <laughs> right. but you touched on something real quick that I, I, I try to, or I want to bring to light. The camaraderie for excellence, right? Because I think that the interesting thing is, and I'm not saying that there's not camaraderie across the board, but I, what I am saying is, I don't think there's a camaraderie for excellence. I think there's a camaraderie for entertainment. And I think that that within itself kind of holds us back because I don't think we're challenging each other. But that's exactly what I said at the end of the last show. If all these band influential band directors across the country came together as a unit and defined what black excellence looks like, it would take a lot of the head. You can do it however you want to do it. But if we're all preaching the message to our students as a unit, you must play in tune. You must do these things to be a great musician, not just blow your brains out. Then right. there would be a standard of excellence across black bands. And that doesn't exist. I don't know if it's ever, it's ever existed. I think that because all of the band directors came from a different generation where they actually taught musicality, they actually had to participate in one ensemble as well. It as, was understood. Right. There was no it was exception. Understood. It was understood culture. It was understood. Right. That was a part of the general culture that you needed to play with understanding of, you know, contour and sound and balance. Like that was a part of the culture. If you did, that was more frowned upon. And it's a, it's a bunch of band heads, y'all. This is the thing we haven't seen. It's a bunch of band heads that are now band directors. <laughs> they changed in the title of band head and became a band director. So there didn't have to be that tying together of all these musical genres that we've been talking about on this on this show. There hadn't there wasn't a competitive aspect where, you know, uh, uh, from a standpoint of I know this piece. The competition comes because I chose to play this piece and went ensemble, you know, and you may not have known about it. Back when we were in college, man, Chuck, I know you remember this back when we were in school because you were into me at we had IMA. Yes, sir. I went. I went to. I went to the one at Norfolk in uh, two thousand. I was in it. I was there with you. I played. Yep. I played trombone. So I was right in front of you in the trumpet section. We played Jericho. We played Jericho. Yes, sir. sir. And and I'm sitting there like, that was a a sense of honor back then because it was only the best players from the school. We had all. We had all CIAA. We had all CIAA as well too. uh, Honor band. That was like our honor band. Yeah. Well, that see, the IMA, time. you know, the IMA was the old CIAA, you know, which yeah. had, um, you know right. what I'm saying, uh, Fayetteville State, A&T was in the old CIAA, Howard Hampton. Norfolk. You know, Norfolk, yeah, CIAA, Norfolk. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I know Norfolk used to come to uh, Fayetteville State all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, Emory mm-hmm. Frears was really, really close with Paul Adams. Uh, not sorry, Paul, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, not Paul's, uh, Paul Russell, that was the founder of E. Smith Band, a band program in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so anytime mm-hmm. they would come play Fayetteville State, they'd always do recruitment there. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that was an honor to be in that uh, all CIAA. That was the, you know, all-star band, you know, that played at the championship game. Um, and I was actually a freshman that got selected for that group. But then when my band director remember I was a freshman, he said I couldn't go. Follow me on this, fellas, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Can you imagine if they did a swack IMA? That would be one of the best win ensembles, in my opinion, to represent HBCUs, period. Right. And, and that's to right. be buy-in, though, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Fans that say, 
we're going to do. Like Southern's University's win ensemble is pretty damn good. Like they yeah. can mm-hmm. Right. So you take their best players. Jackson's is also pretty good. PB's mm-hmm. is good. Like you take all those schools and their best players and put them in a concert ensemble. I think. I mean, obviously, you know what's going to happen because we all went to HBCU. Mm-hmm. First thing to do is start talking that shit. Because <laughs> what happens is, like, you remember this, Chuck? At IMA, they had seating auditions. Oh, for sure. I did my audition with Paul Adams. Yeah. <laughs> same, same with us. I was, I, was playing, I was playing clarinet. And the, and, the, and the went ensemble saxophone in the jazz band, yeah, all of that, man. Right, McKnight from South Carolina State did our auditions, right? Nice. And see, and that's what the consortium I yep. thought was supposed to be. Like I remember, I was in the first band for the consortium. I remember the the inaugural year, and you know, and I remember I seeing, too. I remember, I remember seeing schools participate, and then like I'm like, hey, where's such and such? Where's such and such? Like I had always been a fan, for an example, like Tennessee State University, but I got to sit next to some of their trombone players. I'm like, hey, I was like, these guys can play, you know, and and so that was like a put up a shut up moment, you know. We we look forward to that. Uh, you guys know um, uh, Dominique, clarinet player from Hampton. You know, that's so, that's what I had. She's a she, cast tech. That that's my girl. We played that, a cast together. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, she she's a but beast, but but, you know? but here's 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 the point I I make right Chuck mm-hmm. by bringing that up. Yeah, that is a way more constructive and beneficial form of competition rather than getting online and talking shit about each other. That accomplishes nothing. Right. Shut up or shut up. You think you better, Nene? Come to IMA and audition. Show you beat me. You beat me in the audition. You better than me. Right, right, right. I mean, it was definitely, definitely bragging rights. Right. And 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 I love one year we did a session and there was a lot of uh, Paul Adams, O'Neill Sanford, um, who else was up there? And and they had a panel and talked about hazing, talked yeah. about a lot of different topics. And was this an IMA or the consortium? That's a consortium. This is like one of the first we few years of that. Right. Oh man, it was in Atlanta. There. Yep, it was yep. in Atlanta. It was in Atlanta. Me and Rick were sitting in that same room. Right. All of us. Yeah, Mario. I was right. saying Mario. That's now, me and Mario took that Louis Armstrong picture right before I got cut. Yeah. <laughs> yep. and, and I think, was that the same year or was it the next year that Emery Fierce conducted the director's ensemble? I don't remember uh, that. So that had right. That. He can, it was some years was later, maybe. Year. Yeah. Right. And he conducted the director's ensemble and they brought the French horns in from the Marine Band. Everybody left that that um, conference wanting to play French horn. Oh, I'm gonna go back and play French horn. You know what I'm saying? Because these guys just like ripped into it. But like you said, it's more of a constructive way to you know put up or shut up. But then again, you see like you know the people that are invested. And we all have our own things that we do: community concerts, different events, and stuff. You know, I think you know, and, and Tennessee State is, is one of my top five programs just of all time. Um, and you know, with them not being in, I would say a competitive conference, it allows them to do other things. I mean, they've been to the white house a handful of times to perform. They just did tournament of roses. Like they're always doing something. Um, and that's another alpha man that leads that program as well. Uh, just got to put that oh, out yeah. there. And so, oh, yeah, you sure. know, uh, again, um, it just allows them to kind of do some other things, but I just wish we'd have more participation with that. We did the, um, there was a, uh, conductors 
symposium a few years ago. I was a part of that, and that was really good. Brought some different band directors in and stuff. And so, uh, again, it's about exposure, um, you know, for for our students and having highly trained and qualified, but also young individuals too. You know, I think there is a place we talked about that before for um, student directors and staff and things like that. But there's a process when we cheat the process then there's things we don't know and, and it ends up either biting us in the tail or we end up kind of just being put in a box, you know, put in a box all the time. Yep. Man, these yeah, conversations man, just definitely. make me really appreciate having what I had in high school. Oh, for sure. Big time. I, I just really appreciate, like I went to Cass and I, mm-hmm. you know, I was having a conversation with my students after school. We had went on time rehearsal today and I was telling them, I said, you know, we would have seven fifteen like, uh, rehearsal and you would not be late like no. you would not be late I'm talking about 85 kids in a beginning band in the morning I'm a freshman coming up mm-hmm. in this joint with a big old book bag I wouldn't dare to be I'm sprinting to the rehearsal because mm-hmm. I wanted to be there I was excited and I knew that I didn't want to be the one person not gonna be there and I just that mindset stuck with me so much so everything that I went to after that point was a little less to be honest uh-huh. nothing was quite like that. Nothing was quite like that. So I was like, man, what if there was a university situation that I could have been, that would have been just like that? Because I would have, my musicianship and the way I was would have went even further. And I'm just like, Wow. I mean, the reason why I'm not shading my program and nothing like that. No, right, right. Because the reason why it was a serious program, man. It was a serious program. But the reason why, Mario, is because, I mean, let's be honest, bro. Like we said, we're not shading our program. We were in the program together. Right. The fact that the matter is, yeah, there was a Julian and a Mario and a a me. There was a lot of people that couldn't play the stuff that we wanted to play in that ensemble. Right. 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 Especially in that clarinet section. You know that, everybody. Once it got past you. I'm first here from the start. Yep. Once it got past I'm, you and I'm Sony, coming in as a freshman, I'm already leading the group. Right. Right. And let me and let me tell you, you know, I had that experience, Chief. Hey, uh, and, Chuck, final thought, brother. Yeah, okay. I got you, I got you, bro. Um, in my graduate program at Vandercook, and even with Cobb, I played with uh Dr. Watkins with the Cobb Wind Symphony. And oh, um I tell my kids all the time, it's so amazing. Like when I would show up to Vandercook 30 minutes before rehearsal, the band room's full. The band room's full. Everybody's warming up, tuning up. Everybody's on the square. And when we start rehearsal, we're flying through. I mean, some like Monslanka, like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, 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 you know, we flying through these difficult pieces. And and, and it's just so fulfilling to do that. And even, even in Cobb. Um, Dr. Watkins said something at our last rehearsal, and he said, our gift is what we give to the next member in the ensemble. Like being prepared, our tone, our our listening, our focus, that is our gift that we give to the next person. You know, and and knowing that, and and I was telling my kids, I was like, you know, that gift that you kids get that's in that plastic bag, or here you go, you know what I'm saying? Versus that one Mm -hmm. that's like wrapped up and has a bow and that's nice and that's thoughtful. You know, I was like, that's the kind of Mm -hmm. gift that we want to give. And so, um, you know, I I remember having those experiences and just looking forward to rehearsals, um, looking forward to applied lessons because I knew that I was just gonna get something that was going to make me better and that I can give to my kids. And again, like you said, no slight to my undergrad, but you know what I'm saying? We had some folks that spending three hours in the calf 
I used to have some moments right. like that as well too, rushing right. the rehearsal, you know. But when you have that collective, um, then it, it, it's really, really special, and it brings some some good moments. And, and we just got to try to strive to have 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 more of that. Yeah, amen for that, man. Chuck, man, you know I appreciate you, bro. Appreciate your support. I know I'm probably gonna see you Monday. So <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, I'll be trying not to bop it all the time, man. But y'all, y'all say some things that give me that give me inspired, man. You know, especially as a, let me tell you, man. I, I know y'all may have gone through the thoughts. I know I have as well too. Like, man, do I need to still continue? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like with everything going on in COVID and just, I mean, I had a student breakdown today, you know, in my office and they're just like, I don't even know if I want to graduate anymore. You know, it's seeing these students at their low, you know, and, and then trying to find a way to, you know what I'm saying, inspire them. And, and, and after you've done it for a while, it takes a toll. You know what I'm saying? We, we right. take our work home keep with us. inspired. Right. right. I'm just like, who's, <laughs> who inspires the inspirer? You know, right. and, and, and it's tough. But then hearing these conversations, I was like, all right, reminds me of what I'm doing, reminds me why I do what I do, and reminds me of, like you mentioned, Chief, what we got out of our programs, you know. Right. And, and and also, you know, I'm blessed to have a, a spouse and a wife that's a therapist, and she motivates me as well, too, and, and gives me those, uh, you know what I'm saying, those things, and, and, and uh, you know, and just helps motivate you know, myself to, to push on for my students. Money, well, thank you well, so I much. I appreciate bro. it once again, man. Yeah. And, you know, I always say, man, keep sending people over here. Get oh, for in sure. on the conversation, man. And, and I appreciate your support, bro. Thanks, man. Oh, six of the brothers. Oh, six, bro. Six, baby. <laughs> Get out. Get out. <laughs> hate, 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 hate. Got a little frosty in here. Yeah, it's real cold. Real cold, ice cold. All right, man. Uh, man, the whole the rest of the panel dipped out, man. I know Quan had to go, Maya had to go do her thing, man. So it was just it's just left up to us three fellas. So uh, let's go ahead and get ready to close out. Uh, let's go ahead and do it, Rick. Any final thoughts? Anything you got for the culture, bro? Yeah, I gave y'all a couple music tips for today. Go check out y'all. Robert Glasper has that Black Radio Three album coming out soon. That thing's gonna be fire. It's three tracks up already, so go listen to those. That new Moonchild album, I think, is going to be legit. They dropped that new track with Layla Hathaway. So it's a lot of good um, good music out there. Uh, somebody bought up Cleo Soul. If you haven't heard Cleo Soul's music, she's super dope. But listen to the first album. She's like this light-skinned lady on the album cover. Listen to that one. I don't like the new one. The new one didn't do nothing for me. Um, one thing I do want to bring up, and I'm sure we'll get the advertisement as we get closer, but uh, huge announcement that I'm super proud of um, for all the detractors to say, what are we doing? What are y'all doing to better band culture? Um, one of the projects I've been working on for years came to fruition this year. We had our first HBCU style uh, sponsored band competition with U.S. bands, the biggest marching band circuit in the country. Um, and it was just announced. I've been keeping it under wraps for a while because we've been working on it. But it has expanded. We're moving from one show uh, into four. And it's going to be bigger and bigger every year, ultimately culminating, y'all, hopefully in a uh, faction of the biggest marching band circuit in the country for our bands, judged by us, treated fairly uh, by us, looked at for the art that it is by us. Um, that is what we are doing to uh, to make our lives better. So 
Uh, I want to thank Blue Devils Entertainment uh, out there in uh, California. They now own U.S. Bands. U.S. Bands was started by YA uh, with the Corps. I marched in the cadets. Uh, And my good friend, Eric Prince, man, mentor, good friend, Eric Prince. He was uh, the catalyst for really getting this thing over the edge with his employment with them. Catalyst. Effort, right. Yeah, for everything. So uh, at the end of the day, thank you um, to those organizations. And y'all just be looking out for big things, man. We want to put our money and our efforts where our mouth is. You know, we don't want to just sit on this show and actually try to change the lives of our people. So um, be on the lookout. We are we do have four locations across the country: Houston, um, um, Virginia. Uh, it's like four. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but four locations. Uh, look it up if you want. Uh, you can reach out to us for more information. But if you want to bring your band and get fair adjudication, where you don't have to learn the style of another group that you will never do, other than the day when you got to get assessed then this is the organization for you. It's the same type of thing, quality judges, but for people that know what we do, understand what we do, and love what we do. So, um, yeah, man, that's that's really it. Support Black. Okay. All right, Chief, any final thoughts? Anything you got for the culture? Oh, man. Um, I, well, I have to rewind and say something about I just, as we talk about all the things we're talking about now, man, just shout out to... Um, to all three of us, our band directors that allowed to give us the foundational principles to be able to have an understanding and to be able to, you know, have the opportunities we've had in our lives to be able to teach us and give us that inspiration to even want to do this as in our careers. Because if it wasn't for our directors, then we probably wouldn't be doing this. You know what I mean? Um, so shout out to the band directors that have, um, that have paved the way, respecting the past and uh, trying to innovate in the future. Um, and I wanted to just give a, a special, you know, shout out to all the band directors out there that are that are dealing with um, the struggles of, of students that may be uh, leaving their programs because of the COVID or or because they're just not interested and just dealing with the grind, specifically those small towns, those um, areas where band is maybe not as you know popular and um, just stay motivated, man, because even if it's just a few kids, man, you're shaping lives and those kids uh, that are there. They know other kids are not there. So they're there because you're there and they appreciate you. And uh, just continue to go hard with them, man, because um, we are we are very, very needed in our communities. Uh, being black men, black educators um, or, you know, we, we are needed, man. And so it's important for us to continue to support each other. And um, these type of platforms are important for that. So continue to uh, support us as we can support you. All right. Um there's a couple of things that I, I want to say. One, um, I definitely want to give some more love and shout out to uh, my brother Rick and my brother Eric and U.S. Bands, man, for definitely doing this thing. I am massively excited, uh, especially as a Texas educator who has been on the circuit and who's been in the UIL competitions and, and, and seen a lot of those things that have happened. I think this is a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of different, you know, competitions out there. Um, but this one is a major, major move in the marching arts. And we really, really need to continue to uh, or, or stand behind it and support it um, and, and enter your programs into um, the 
the um, the competition. It's necessary. It's necessary. We talking about we're talking about move the culture forward. That's a, this is a lot of that is the culmination of what we talk about, like one hundred percent. So if you are really serious about moving the uh, culture forward and also not being in that echo chamber, then let's do something that actually does that. Okay. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing, I don't know if he's still doing it or not. I know Quan um, was having the popcorn sale with his kids and I know I bought me some popcorn. I am waiting for them bad boys to show up. I just got the I, UPS no- notification. I'm waiting. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I think it was yesterday. So, uh, so I, I don't know if he's still promoting it or not. I, I don't, I, and I don't want to go and put it back out there. Um, if he's not, but, uh, if he is, then we'll make sure that, uh, we put that up for next week. Also, I know a lot of you guys stopped by for, uh, the <laughs> Dr. Sanford. Uh, he was unable to attend today, but, uh, he will be here on next week. So we look forward to that. Uh, I'm really excited on that I, 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 to to get in this conversation to have this conversation with um, our director is, is going to be very interesting to have and, and to see what he's going to say. So continue to stick with us uh, next week. Once again, yeah, I, I called I appreciate- him. I called him. He's like, oh, man, Rick, I got to let you know, man, I got some going on with rules. I got to run these errands. You know, unfortunately, I ain't going to be on today, but make sure you get me on next week, man. Call me in advance. Call me in advance. <laughs> Call me in advance. Uh, so, <laughs> so, he, so there you go. Uh, I just got a message from Quan. They're done with the popcorn sale, uh, but he does say he did say that he did appreciate everybody who was watching and who supported uh, his his uh, his fundraiser. Um, his his numbers definitely went up after you know we announced it on here. So kudos to all of you guys who support and who just wanted some popcorn. Uh, so. <laughs> Thanks to all of you guys uh, for holding it down for for our brother Quan. Uh, other than that, I don't have anything else, man. You guys have been fantastic. This was a great show tonight, uh, and I thank all of you guys for sticking with us for so long. This actually went a lot longer than what I expected it to go, but it's all good because we were having great conversations. So until then, man, I appreciate everybody. Oh, what? That's okay, man. We're gonna next week. We're gonna have Doc on, so it's gonna be a lot. The show. terrible Doc voice. I agree. Right. I agree. Oh. <laughs> Come on, Julian. Come on, Julian. Leprechaun or something. <laughs> Mary, oh, you already know. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, man, I appreciate all of you guys for sticking with us, man. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to Talk That Talk. Find us on social media outlets and YouTube at Real Talk That Talk. Talk That Talk is a brand of the Passion Is Network. You can contact Passion Is at passionis1919 at gmail.com. If you would like to contact the panel of Talk That Talk, email us at realtalkthattalk at gmail.com.